Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer Podcast. I'm Graham Smith, your host, and I'm joined in the office today by Tom. Hello. Rich. Hello. And Chris. Hello. Gentlemen, what's your favorite The History? My favorite The History? Yeah. It's a question we used to ask each other in the pub about five years ago, which was a running joke briefly. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> period of history? Okay. Um, mine is... Can it be in the future? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you have, to okay. spe- you have to pick a specific range of the future. I can't just be the future okay. in general. Mine is about 20, uh, t- 2,120 to 2,160, which is when I think things are going really hot up. <laughs> i got high hopes for that period. Okay. Rich? I have, as a history graduate, I have massive flaws with the fact that the Tom is, Tom's history is in the future. It's <laughs> just the exact opposite of what history is. <laughs> Anti-history. Uh, my favourite bit of history would probably be um, the Tokugawa period in Japan. Which was, That's predictable. Yeah, Mr. Exactly. Japanese history degree. There you go. I also quite liked 12th century England because there was lots of stabbing. That's true of much of history. Chris? Yeah. I might go for the Enlightenment because yeah. of loads of really daft attempts at science. Like, let's go to the moon on a chariot pulled by geese. <laughs> but people really earnestly thinking about this. Also, people wearing wigs being bitchy about each other. I'd go for that. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. How about well, you? I quite like modern history. I like, you know, the last hundred years. <laughs> you know? Going to, world going to space, a couple of world wars, you know? Lots of, lots of <laughs> I was saying that as a negative, but uh, okay. <laughs> Just Holocaust. <laughs> it's good to read about. Actually, I would like to have been on a big uh, clipper ship, like doing trading at ports or around mm, Africa and stuff. Cool. It's like, um, I wouldn't actually because I would die of scurvy. But <laughs> yeah, it would be fun to live in like 1920s New York and mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. You say fun, probably would be horrible. Like most early I'm history. High society, okay, 1920s yeah. New York. You know, really I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'd be yeah. you know, going to parties and hang, hanging out with No, you'd be, you'd be awfully disheveled drinking laudanum or something. Well, I'd <laughs> die when I was 50. I'm liver poisoning, but that's fine. Okay, yeah. we might be going too deep. <laughs> I found out recently that um, my great-grandmother was actually a housekeeper in a really posh twen- like 20s and 30s high New York lifestyle. People nice. came over from Liverpool, Irish. Went there, did that for a few years, came back, which is kind of awesome, actually. You sort of expect to see her in the background in movies now. <laughs> I can relate this to games. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. There's why a uh, little Flash game where it's actually it's some kind of educational thing. Like, I think it might have even been made for a British Museum um, where you play a tea and opium trader uh, sending a ship between the ports of the world, uh, buying up opium and selling it for money, then buying up tea... Uh, I think from India and taking it to Britain before the aristocrats get angry with you for a lack of tea, <laughs> which is awesome. So where was that? Where's that game? Um, I can't quite remember what it's called, but it's a flash game on the internet, and I will find it and we'll put a link in the post. Okay. Well, I suppose we should start off by talking about the Steam Summer Sale, which is going on at the moment, and which has the entire world excited except for us. <laughs> because we already all know those games <laughs> awkwardly um, but which is, which is which is good for us and makes us assholes that everyone listening to this podcast now hates yeah but sorry that's I'm Chris quite excited about it <laughs> why, why yeah. are you still excited about it it's got a picture of a really nice treehouse in the background <laughs> there's this sense of like I, I just love going on there every day and like seeing what awesome stuff is incredibly cheap and then telling everyone about it and saying yeah mm. I like voting really in the in the voter sale kind of thing where your community picks one game to go on sale I like picking the game that I think people should buy rather than like nothing I'm going to buy but like, it's like oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to vote for Mirror's Edge because people should buy that and it's not and good even, enough for I mean, me honest, but it's good enough for I already me. own it so <laughs> <laughs> 
but even if uh, like regardless of whether you have a press account, I think most of the cool stuff on there is stuff that you own. <laughs> like most yeah. of it's actually things I bought, um, and I still get excited about that and like want to tell people Dead X is two pounds fifty or whatever. I'm always surprised about the amount of things that people don't have. I don't know whether it's because I just assume that yeah, it's like Portal. Yeah, it was free for like two weeks or something. Anyone who played it in that period got it for free forever. Yeah, and that still people don't have it. It seems like Skyrim. People yeah. people still haven't bought Skyrim, and it's kind of, I just, oh, I yeah, just assume that it's probably kind of. <laughs> but like when it jumps to reading. seventeen quid and it's the number one thing on yeah. Steam, having been not left the Steam chart since it was released. Yeah, at full like, price. We said this last time. Who's but still buying? Who it? is still buying it? But <laughs> like, yeah, people buy more than one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, you, if you're very poor and you have really cash, fine. But then, like you say, it's been it's been number one for so long that. I think like the gaming, people. that many people the gaming community outside of the the hardcore is like so much bigger than we kind of think mm. of I think the people who buy Skyrim Day 1 are actually a tiny percentage of the total audience you can reach with mm-hmm. the game that everyone's talking about and everyone's really excited about yeah. we used to always say this about The Sims where we would do just the UK retail charts for games and The Sims would still be have four different places in the top 20 mm-hmm. 10 years after it first came out and that's not the expansion packs that was just the base game was always in the top 20 of the charts mm. What I like about the Steam Summer Sale is just that it feels like such a big gaming event now. The yeah. fact that Hitman Blood Money was trending on Twitter yeah, just because it was you know, a £1.49 on Steam and it's a great game and so everyone started talking about what a great game it was, yeah. which is really nice because that's a great game. I always love Reddit's reactions here as well where they, there was, I think it was both this year and it was last time as well when they had one it was just like, right guys, let's lay the ground rules down now. Let's not bundle in at once. It's kind of like before some kind of mass sporting event where if someone's going to get the ribs broken, you have to be careful. You have to lay the rules down <laughs> and say that this is how we're going to talk to each other. This is how we're going to put posts up. This is how we're going to tell you about all the important deals and stuff. So don't don't stray outside these boundaries. And then three, two, one, everybody go run towards <laughs> the deals. Yeah, it's like Christmas shopping or something, but where mm. there's really no physical consequence and there's nothing you can't run out. So <laughs> you don't get you t- trampled. You can't get trampled. There's no threat of massive disappointment. You're not going to get there, and if the last blood money is just gone, you yeah. know what I mean? It's, they really should do. That. They, should, they should ever add a threat of trampling. No, <laughs> no, it's a positive. What I'm saying is it's a universally positive experience. At the moment, uh, pretty much, it's just pops off a little achievement saying you've been trampled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder why that makes sense. Um, it's awesome seeing people, uh, indie people, posting like little uh, snippets about their sales. Because there's this controver- uh, controversial thing recently where um, dude from EA said that Steam sales cheapen IP, mm. which is like, yes, that's, the, that's what a sale means. <laughs> you reduce the price of something, making it cheaper. Um, but uh, Gary Newman of Gary's Mod posted a um, graph of his sales um, in which the Steam summer sale is like the last little week. And it's just, just like a sort of low flat line and then a massive wall where it just shoots up like it's selling like 10 times as much as he normally does and that's i think revenue rather than copies so it's even despite the lower price mm. yeah and ea said that and then they launched this week the origin summer sale where <laughs> yeah. all the games are discounted quite yeah heavily. many different ways it was a unwise thing to the say hot mid-year sale yeah I, I would love to know what the comparison is between putting your game on sale during the summer sale where there are also dozens yeah. of other games on sale or just to doing it the rest of the year on yeah, its own because you see people tweet, like Christine Love was talking about how Analog, a hate story, was on sale a month ago and she said it did amazing for her and mm. stuff like that. But I wonder if you know if she had put it on sale now, would it have done better or worse? I imagine as well the people who are in the slots, the, the, the voted slots or the, or the highlighted slots are probably going to get six times the sales of someone mm. who is on sale as well but isn't, isn't one yeah. of the, the main ones. Yeah. It's about focusing attention. Like the Steam sale is an event, and therefore mm. I would actually argue that it's more likely to make more money during the Steam during a big yeah, sale I event than a bunch of people just it. looking at that page and looking mm. for cheap stuff. 
the fact that everyone's talking about it as well. Yeah, yeah and like people budget for it as well. People know the team sales coming and will put themselves <laughs> yeah. aside a bit of money. So people go in knowing I'm going to spend hundred pounds this week. You know what I mean? Like and that's kind of crazy the rest Imagine of the time. How exciting that would be! Graham, <laughs> already own Graham, all the game. you can't. You, there's, there's literally not a problem there. You don't have a problem. Use Steam account so I can buy things. Non problems. Um, very privileged. It was, it was good. Um, Dan Pinchbeck, who did um, Dear Esther, tweeted to say that he sold like seventy thousand copies of Dear Esther, and it was on sale for like it was in one of the dailies as well. And it's wow. like that's awesome. Like Fuck that's yeah. and you know that's and that's people going you know yeah well pick up this thing you know this sort of hour or two hour long walking down a cliff listening to a story game and, <laughs> and like sell seventy thousand copies of that in a day. Brilliant. Okay, let's do that. The other thing I want stats on is. Of the games that get sold, how many of the people who buy those games then go and play them yeah. within mm. the first three months? Or ever. <laughs> or ever. Yeah. Because 70,000 people just bought Dear Esther. And I bet you if we look at the Steam player stats that it's not. It's not. You know, but also, I mean, it's, it's so short that in order for it to show up in the concurrent yeah. players, they would all have to be playing it at once. Yeah. <laughs> Check the uh, Dear Esther high score charts afterwards. Yeah. Even the most story out of it. <laughs> who unlocked the golden pistols first. Yeah, indeed. See how the clans are doing. <laughs> what have we all been playing at the moment did anyone want to volunteer yep um, I have been playing Defence Grid because there was a Kickstarter for Defence Grid 2 and um, I was watching it just to find out like more about it because it kind of passed me by the first time um, and they've just got like all their favourite game designers in the world to just say a short thing saying this is why we need Defence <laughs> Grid 2 and uh, Chris Taylor's is amazing, <laughs> as always, because it's just hilarious. Um, and they can basically convince me that Defense Grid is a thing I should know about, so I played the original. And I played it for like 17 hours or something now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's Tower Defense, and I had kind of rejected it the first time through because I tried it, played a first level, and there's just like a few, like seven or eight little spots that you can place towers, and then you just have to decide which kind of tower, whether it's a gun or a flamethrower mm. and uh, I generally don't like those kinds of town defense games I much prefer ones where you have free reign of where you play stuff and you get to like design your own maze and bait people mm -hmm. through the, this really elaborate death chamber because <laughs> I love like the sort of graph theory of, dis of designing those things um, but it sounds like Defensive Grid does have that as well um, it's actually kind of just flexible and um, so in some levels there are these big open blocks of level that you can send the, the um, creeps through and you can place towers anywhere within that. And so you can design your own maze in that. And also the, from those, there'll be little roads that branch off to other sections of the level. They're trying to get to your core. And the extra twist in Defense Grid is once they've got to your core, they pick something up and walk away with it. And as long as you kill them before they get away with it, you don't lose anything. Okay. Um, and so there are different paths they can take on the way in and different paths they can take on the way out. And you can design your maze so that, uh, it turns out, usually the most efficient thing to do is design it so that there is only one way they can get in so that they go all the way through your ridiculously elaborate maze, get to the core, pick up some stuff, whatever it is, any power cores or something, and then they have to leave the same way, so they go through everything twice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really satisfying. Right? It starts with like this simple kind of U-shape where they can come in, grab a core, go out by a different way, and it's really hard to cover all that with, with expensive guns that cost you a lot to upgrade and things. But if you just place a few cheap guns to block off those exits and then like make them wind through this kind of longer maze, and then you just create like one death zone where you think, okay, when they pass that, they're going to come at it from above, then walk across it sideways and go back up the way they came. And so they're going to spend, you know, X amount of time in the range of these six turrets. So I'm just going to spend all my money on investing um, and upgrading those. And they become incredibly deadly. And then anyone who survives that has to walk through all your cheap turrets, go all the way to the core. 
and come all the way back and then go through the death gauntlet again. <laughs> <laughs> the That's so satisfying to watch. Hard mechanical counter to that in the game. I think it still works this way when I used to play it, definitely did, where if someone's escaping with a core and they drop it, the core starts to return. It doesn't come, doesn't flash back straight away. It just makes yeah. its way back. And if another enemy hits it at that point, they get it and they start well, yeah. just start leaving. I, That's yeah. the problem with the that's the problem with the the exit being the the the, the way out being the way in because occasionally you'll kill one right as he's near the end and then it'll start to go back but then an enemy that's just yeah. spawned to come in will get it and take it out it's weird because i um early on i thought it was an option to enable that and so i thought it was disabled by default and so i played thinking that wasn't the case and then just on the latest level on i saw someone doing it but i still have never lost because <laughs> like hmm. the only ones i've lost have been when some fast boss comes in and i'm not quite ready for it i do think like i'm really enjoying it um, and I find it incredibly compulsive and it's what I play to kind of reward myself when I finish some work or something. <laughs> um, but I'm also kind of aware that I'm like, uh, I don't know if grinding is the right word, but I'm playing by a certain formula in my head where I think, okay, every time I'm just going to make a basic gun turret and upgrade it as much as possible <laughs> and then it will <laughs> kill everything. Um, and it's really, weirdly, that's increasing my enjoyment of it. The fact that there's something I can always do that I know will always work against every enemy type in every situation. Um, is making me kind of like it because I, I can then vary it from there. Whereas before I discovered that, I was trying to figure out what the solution was for each level. So each level introduces a new tower or a new enemy type. And so um, the one that introduces concussion towers, uh, these are towers which hurt everything around them by recruiting random explosions. You think, okay, I've got to use concussion towers somehow. And I tried like five times to use concussion towers on this level. Every time I just outright failed, just was not going to complete it at all. Everyone got away with all my cores. And so I looked up a solution online for those people posting YouTube videos of them getting gold, which means nobody got a core and they had masses of cash left over at the end of the level. And uh, the guy just places the most basic gun turrets and then just upgrades them loads. <laughs> that just kills everything. It's just absolutely... Like, okay, the basic gun turret is not supposed to be good against groups. But on the other hand, if you upgrade it, it does loads of damage. That's good against everything. <laughs> everything has health, so do loads of damage and you'll kill it all. And... Uh, but when I watched that, I thought, oh, this is bullshit. You just have to do the most basic thing. That's what a rubbish game. And I thought, that does look kind of satisfying, though. So I <laughs> it up, tried it myself, made a slight tweak to his design and did my own like, little improvisations on it. thought, wow, that was awesome. I'm going to do that every <laughs> level. <laughs> so they're running a Kickstarter campaign to do a sequel to it. Yeah, I have to say, even though I've uh, now played Defense Grid and like it, I'm probably not going to back the Kickstarter because uh, it's to make more Defense Grid. And I'm like halfway through one of five chapters and it's huge. It's mm. going to take me like 200 hours to finish this game. Why do they, what's their justification for doing a Kickstarter project to fund the I game? I don't know. I watched the video and they, they clearly want to make a new one and they justified why a new one should exist and how they went about the old one. But I can't really tell why the money from the old one doesn't pay for a new one because mm. it was really successful. There's been dozens of Steam sales as well mm. since the first Steam sales, I think. It's tied into loads of games as well, isn't it? Things you got, got from it. or Yeah, you... there's like a portal tie-in yeah. mission. Um, I haven't played that yet. Is it made by X5 guys or isn't it made by people? Hidden Path. Are, yeah, they're also doing Counter-Strike Global yeah. Offensive. Yeah. Huh, which would presumably uh, also right. be making them money. Well, let's not like slag them off or anything because I haven't actually checked why they need the money. <laughs> but maybe they have a reason. Maybe. Not a lot of people seem to have a reason for some doing people, Kickstarter projects. Some people are moment. definitely just starting a Kickstarter to see how much money they get. And yeah. Yeah. there's a whole like actual culture of people training people to do that now. Like, you know, people have discovered this happens and, you know, there's that, that kind of like wafting cloud of social media gurus mm. <laughs> just looking for ways to make money in the, the most cloud is a good collective <laughs> name for them in the cheapest and, and and dirtiest way possible and they see kickstarter and they'll like they don't have any consciousness of them being the exploitative type of using it it's just everything out there is just fair game to be used in whatever way mm. you can use it and so i've read like sort of tutorials for how to create a 
how to make a million dollars on Kickstarter that don't even mention why you'd need this money. You don't talk at all about you know using it as any kind of as requiring the money to get your thing done. It's just for extra profit for this thing that you've already made. Mm. And uh, without just a hint of shame, <laughs> they don't even acknowledge that that's not really the spirit of the thing. And uh, they're all really positive about it. Like, yeah, it's an awesome way to make money. Yeah. <laughs> Should we start a Kickstarter project then? <laughs> no. I really what? It really depresses There's a lot of people life. that seem to kind of do it, like they've already made the game and they're doing it for the marketing push or the, mm. the, the PR push, something like that, which kind of, I guess the problem with Kickstarter for me is that if I want to back a project that I want to play, I'm, I change quite a lot in my tastes over a, couple, like a month or so. I'll, I'll, be, I'll go from I'm desperate to play this game to, well, I don't care about that anymore. In a year, <laughs> I probably, probably have you know, completely different tastes, really different. I might not even care about it anymore. And you've got a year of like, it's still coming, the game's still coming. And no matter what happens, you're going to be oversaturated with the news because you signed up for the newsletter or whatever because you, you backed it. And I don't think that I could hold my attention for that long. And if yeah. at least if it's only doing it for the marketing campaign, they've already made the game, then I'll get it in three months rather than get it in two years. I mean, the problem with something like Wasteland is that, you know, you're not going to see anything on it for, mm. if apparently they're starting from day one, then three years down the line, maybe we'll start to see yeah. shots. There probably won't be any outrage out of that because everyone will have forgotten they backed it yeah, by the time. Well, that's <laughs> I mean, if it does fall. I definitely, like my, my view is that Kickstarter, you're not backing a game, backing a creative team mm. or a creator. And that's always how I've seen it. That It's sort of like, I, I like these people and I want to make sure these people have the freedom to make the thong, they, thing they want to make. So nice. if I'll back something, it'll be for those reasons. And that's why trusting the people who are behind a project or having some track record or some sense mm. of... That's such a risky thing though because yeah. essentially it's, oh, you know, it's, you know, they've got a certain goodwill equity that these companies are trading in in exchange for, for to unlock yeah. money from their fans. But as soon as you do that, they're gonna. Like, you can't spend that goodwill twice unless no, you deliver on the of imagined course. fantasies yeah. of the people who've just given you a bunch of money. Also, the, the thing the problem is as well, you know, Kickstarter is a thing where you people are paying for it, and if you if you've already bought a, a thing and it turns out to be not the game you want, if if Wasteland, I said in the face off, if Wasteland turns out to be a first person shoot with kill streaks, and everyone goes, <laughs> well, that's not what I wanted at all, and I've already paid for this, so give me what I want. And, it's not how it works, yeah. though. Yeah, but it's not how it works. Gamers are like fairly entitled to begin with, though. Yeah. This is, well, I mean, this I, you know, literally I think, making I think, them entitled. I think, to think, money. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, yeah, it, it hinges hugely on people's sense of perspective and, mm, and maturity <laughs> in the face of disappointment. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe we're doomed. But the, the, but I mean, the thing is, in that situation, you say, well, actually, what you did was you, you know, Brian Fargo came yeah. and said, I would like this much money to make the game I've got in my head, please. Yeah. And you gave him that money and he made the game that was in his head and you, there's no take backs. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so that, that is the reasonable response, but I'm just worried that, you know, reasonable responses aren't really I am going to hold on to this raft. The thing people <laughs> should know is that um, Kickstarter won't... Um, uh, are not guaranteeing anything for you, Kickstarter themselves, the company. So mm. if you back a thing and they don't deliver, Kickstarter won't do anything for you at all. You're yeah. completely out in the cold. I do think there's going to be, there will be at some point down the line, one massive misstep by one big company. Yeah. Well, the OUYA is so. sort of <laughs> <laughs> starting to um, sound like that. Yeah, and it's going to end up for everybody. The problem is as well, there's going to be lots of, lots of really deserving creative teams that don't have the money. You mm. do need the money to do this thing. And yeah. because there's, there's big figureheads like Brian Fargo and like like people, you know, who are actually pushing this thing to be good. There should just be a big thing at the top of every Kickstarter that says, A, Kickstarter won't do anything if these people don't give you anything. And B, here is what this Kickstarter team say they need the money for and what they will mm. spend it on if they get this amount. Because mm. I think that there's just there's a lot of um, ambiguity. If you start a Kickstarter and don't say what your money is for, people just kind of assume you need the money in order to make this product. 
And so if you don't need the money to make this product and you just want an extra profit or you want a bigger salary for yourself, then you're not actually... There's no uh, transparency there. Yeah, you're you're probably not intentionally deceiving people, but you end up deceiving people whether you meant to or not. The thing, the problem though, is that people will back something without that information. You know, in a a just world, and I'm going to apparently not, I don't live on the same planet as everyone else, but um, (laughs) in a just, you know, if everything works as it should, people just wouldn't back you know, there's nothing stopping people from being yeah, transparent. Yeah. So there's no reason why you shouldn't give people money if you don't know what the money is going to. That's just a good, sensible mm. thing to have whatever yeah. you spend your money on. And so almost it is a problem in a sense that Kickstarter doesn't force more transparency, maybe. But at the same time, it's totally on individual gamers to decide where their money is going yeah. to go and to take the risks that are associated with I that. I guess as well, you kind of, you know, if I was if I was a, a giant multinational corporation instead of a single human being, I, I would if I looked at an opportunity that said, "Here's some extra money, and you're working pretty hard, and you're doing very good work. Here's a chance to get some extra money." I don't, I don't think I feel evil about taking that chance. Like you know, people donate to people who don't need money, but they do things they like, mm. like mm. podcasts, things like that. People donate to it. Why not open an avenue that lets you get? you know, at least secure more money that makes similar things in the future. The thing I wonder about is how long is it before a big company starts a new small company? We're a small independent team. This is a thing that already <laughs> Recently happens. left our old jobs at this big. Don't look no, above there's, us. There's, there's Fox, they have film uh, studios, but mm. then they've got Fox Searchlight, which is their indie studio. Yeah. But that indie doesn't mean anything in that context because it's all for donations for it? No, but they, <laughs> they, they, you know, they do that because they get a certain amount of indie credibility of, oh, we do the little arty films. Or you've got, you know, my, on my phone, I'm with GifGaf, which is, you know, pitched as the mobile phone service provider created by you and it's this community thing and you get points for that. getting involved in the community <laughs> how drunk like are they? but actually it's owned by O2 and it's yeah. on O2's network <laughs> it's just O2 and they've just created a new company with different branding so how long is it before Microsoft mm. or Sony or someone you know creates their indie publishing right, division yeah, well, indie bundle is already, to, be, well, to be fair though the, the money being raised even by super super successful Kickstarters is still pretty small Compared to the budgets that go in, that you know, EA are talking about or Microsoft are talking about, you know, the incentive if they can go and make three million, great, they can they can probably fart that out in a weekend. Well, like EA obviously have that money lying around, but they're going to have in, in developers in there that want to do small projects, and getting that money out of the huge corporate machine is difficult. Mm-hmm. But setting up a, an actual process for that, you know, I can I can imagine a company doing doing that setting mm, up a no, thing definitely. and saying you know rather than this coming out of our of our budget elsewhere in the company which is hard to get approved yeah we'll set up a whole division which is just devoted to getting it out of consumers because then we'll create the indie it, games if that it they turns want. out to be a commercial disaster it doesn't matter because yeah it doesn't need to sell anything because you've already got the money and also if it did need to sell something and uh like you can't produce the game mm. and it just falls through then there's no legal recourse <laughs> so and, you're fine. and the other thing is that people justify it to themselves and well, there's no harm in asking. If people don't like it, they won't back it. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, hmm. we're a giant company and we're fabulously rich, but we're going to ask people for money and if they don't want to give it to us, then that's fine. But people will want to give that's money. That's hypothetical, isn't it, Graham? Because if their we're idea not for an <laughs> is fine, then they'll do it. Which is why there's been backlash to, well, the Penny Arcade one, hmm. which I'm fairly indifferent about myself. Yeah. But there's been backlash to it because they're seen as an already successful company that produces comics. So why do they need more money to make comics? And it's slightly more complicated than that, but their view of it as well, and it's quite reasonable, is just that, well, we asked, and if people don't want to give it to us, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I, think, for I think there is a, you kind of have to defend that 
view to an extent because it has to ultimately responsibility for spending money has to lie with the people who are spending the money. Like no one has been brainwashed or kidnapped or, you know, sort of strong armed into spending that money. But sometimes they're misled. Misleading tricked. advertising is one thing. Misleading advertising absolutely exists without <laughs> Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and, and we have a regulatory body which, you know, yeah. tries to cut down on that mm-hmm. stuff. I think like so. the reason there's a massive surge of donations after the a double fine one was that it just became a thing that people yeah. trust mm-hmm. and associate yeah. it with this big positive or thing. That everyone knows double fine are going to make a game and, you know, they're high yeah. profile, they're really well proven. And uh, the name of Kickstarter is just kind of tied to that. And it's just like, oh, that, there was that thing. Everyone's involved and everyone paid for that thing. So it's not like a scam. Kickstarter isn't a scam site. It's yeah. not a pyramid no, scheme. Kind of, now everyone feels confident in giving money to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of see them as like, like Brian Fogger and, and, and Double Fine as like balloons holding this thing up. And when something along <laughs> comes out and pops one of these balloons, the whole thing's just going to collapse. Like it's currency is goodwill. It's when... It's when someone goes, oh, Kickstarter, that is that company that the Double Fine are doing. Oh, that's fine. I'm more than happy to do that. It's when someone goes, oh, Kickstarter, that was that, that was that X game came along and it completely lied to us and was terrible and scammed me out of 15 quid. Yeah. Like, no way am I... The funny thing is, it's, people. it can't really happen soon because no one's promising anything no. soon. <laughs> like, everyone's just saying, oh, eventually we'll make this game yeah. probably and it'll be the best thing ever. And if we never do, you, we'll just forget about it. Yeah, Kickstarter, <laughs> I, I, can't see, I can't see the whole thing not having like a shelf life for about five years. Like, I can't see how it's going to be... Yeah, every, when um, we first came out, everyone's saying, oh, this is going to be the model of the future. Everyone's going to make all their games to Kickstarter. We've probably, like, analysed yeah. <laughs> the business model enough. <laughs> Um, but there's a one that is relevant to games. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, well, they're all relevant to games. What I mean is uh, there's a specific game we can talk about, which is um, 30 Flights of Loving, which is a Kickstarter reward for backing the Idle Thumbs podcast. Mm. Um, but it is they announced recently that it is going to come to Steam. Um, it's the next game from Brendan Chung, who made Flotilla and Atom Zombie Smasher and Gravity Bone, um, all of which are great. Mm. Um, and this is a sequel to Gravity Bone, uh, Gravity Bone was a Quake Two engine. Yeah, Quake Two is open game? source, so it's you stand- talk about it actually. It's uh, Gravity Bone was a first-person game running in the Quake Two engine, which is open source. So it was standalone, and you were essentially like a secret agent slash spy type guy. <laughs> and there's like three three missions in in what's like a half hour long game. One of you to assassinate someone. One of you to take pictures of something. It's got this very very kind of blocky style, hasn't it? People are almost like Minecraft people. Yeah. And it's um, kind of set in a kind of South American co- a fictional country and stuff. And it's beautiful art and sound design and stuff like that. And it's it's very, although it's very short, it's the level design and it's incredible. And it, I find it difficult to talk about because I'm not sure quite how how it does the things <laughs> that it does. Um, but it, the Gravity Bond was loved for its ending, which is this uh, kind of montage sequence as something happens to your character that's bad and you get flashbacks essentially of your past and it's just it does a really great job of giving an emotional ending to a game which only took you 30 minutes to play and 30 flights of loving his new game which is again quick to engine same art style same world that kind of thing uses more of that montage style idea but for the entire thing so it's only 12 minutes long but what you're doing is you're seeing flashes of what is a team of thieves performing a heist it's basically like it's the best heist movie you've ever played <laughs> yeah that's, that's a good way to sum it up which i'm doing a very bad job of doing at the moment but you know you know it starts off you never actually see the heist itself you just see the days leading up to it and the aftermath with time skipping forward and j- big chunks and no stupid 
three hours later or anything like that. It, yeah. just, it just does it and you kind of piece it together as you go along. It's really stylish. Uh, it's really cool. A lot of the scenes in it are things that you never see in a video game. They're things that you'd do if you're like a master director. Mm. Um, <laughs> they're just like incredible, um, weird, surreal moments and like beautiful locations. And um, like a lot of the actual game, it's I sort of think of it as like an adventure game because it's little, a lot of the games like the downtime between, like there's no fights in it that I recall. Um, not really. There are com- kind of combat scenes, but you're not. You don't shoot people. Or so it's like it's like the them. quiet bits of the heist movie. It's mm. like you know someone's on the floor bleeding to death, and you're just standing there, and you um, nobody talks. They kind of just make clear as well. Kind of noises. like Charlotte Brown adults. Yeah, um, and uh, it's it's a brilliant feeling to be playing something where every scene is uh, like a movie scene but you're the main character and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> so every time a scene starts, like every time it flashes back or flashes forward or whatever, hmm. uh, you suddenly find yourself in a weird situation and you have to figure out what your role in it is and what your relationship is to these two characters. There's an amazing one where you just start and there's a character facing you and you immediately notice several things about this character that are different to when you last saw them. And I just sat there thinking, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> Am I about to die? Am I about to kill someone? Am I completely fine? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on. And you just have to figure out just from little cues, like you walk around trying to press use on things and sometimes your character does something that you makes you realize, oh, my character knows that I'm friends with this person or my character knows this. And so you have to kind of deduce the story from that and it's beautifully done. It's going to be, um, uh, it was a reward for backing Idle Thumbs at $30, I think. Um, and the people who did that will get it first on Steam. And then a little while later, it'll be on sale for everyone on Steam. And um, Chris Remo from the Idle Thumbs podcast did the music for oh, yeah. it. He does this, you know, really fun Latin style heist chase movie. Music. And if you do get the Kickstarter version, there's a secret Jeff Goldblum mode you can able to ruin the game, <laughs> replacing everyone with Jeff Goldblum. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really great. Um, the, to return really briefly to Kickstarter, only to justify a segue to something different. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons that people use Kickstarter, whether they need the money or not, is, as Rich said, that it's good marketing um, because lots of people are looking at Kickstarter and promoting them. You can create a nice page which you know, has screenshots and video. And there's another service launching, which is going to do the same, which is Steam Greenlight, um, which is Valve's service for gamers being enabled to vote indie games onto Steam. So if you're a creator of an indie game, you can put it on Steam Greenlight with the photos and videos, and then people can say, hey, I want to be able to buy this through your service, Valve. And Valve will remove themselves from that. what's their approval process, basically. Mm. Creators of indie games, I know one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know someone too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you asking me what I think of it? Uh, yeah, I guess I've got a unique perspective, what Tom. You, like, you, you went to the kind of announcement, which wasn't like a public announcement. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, um, I can talk about everything they told us in it except for one feature that they're planning for Steam that um, they're not quite ready to reveal details of yet. Um, but yeah, the main thing was Steam Greenlight. We didn't really know why we were there. It was me and like about 100 other UK indie developers, um, actually a lot of European ones as well, um, just invited to London to meet with Valve and we all said yes because it's Valve <laughs> and uh, they just said it was like a meet and greet type thing um, I think a gas competition in one room we were kind of thinking oh maybe there's going to be something you know more to it than that um, like they must have some kind of thing to tell us and sure enough they did <laughs> and it was extremely relevant to a lot of people in the room <laughs> and there was a lot of uh, it was a fairly short presentation and then we're just kind of hanging out in the, um, in the venue uh, with you know a million indie developers and so there's some lively discussion about the implications of it i was surprised how many people were skeptical about it because i thought it'd be like 
Um, once I realized what it was, I just thought like, oh, well, everyone in the room is having a little party in their head now. <laughs> <laughs> but I, there were some guys who um, uh, already have Steam deals who felt kind of threatened by it. Like, oh, no, you know, I thought I was like in the club mm. now and I would just get all my games on Steam, but now I've got to like fight for it in this public arena with <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> I think uh, partly facetiously. Um, have you seen the James Bond movie Goldfinger? <laughs> no. Oh, yes. Where, where he gathers together all the kind of leaders of all the biggest criminal gangs oh, yeah. around America. Yeah. And they kind of, like, the, the floor peels back to reveal the master plan and stuff like that. Was it like that? <laughs> yes, exactly like that. Only with more sofas and free drinks. Left fewer sharks as well. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm hugely excited about it as someone who's currently making an indie game um, and hoping to get it on Steam uh, and who, you know, will hopefully make more indie games after this and also want them to be on Steam. Mm. And the previous approval process for Steam was pretty shit. Uh, by Valve's own admission, which was you send it to them, and if they get time, they'll look at it. <laughs> if they don't, <laughs> they just won't. Um, and I, I asked them about this, um, like, because loads of people have said there's a huge, like, I've sent it to Steam and never heard anything back. Um, and so I was wondering if they, like, they get so overwhelmed that they just kind of skip over some stuff, like some get, stuff gets lost. And they said, no, they actually, they were just working to however far they've got through the backlog. So if you've submitted your game since the last thing that they approved, then you won't have heard anything back from them. Um, so there's just an, like an insane um, surfeit of games that they don't have time to rate properly, and that's why they're doing this. Um, but it's also quite weird how how much good stuff has been rejected by Valve. Like we we've heard a bunch of uh, games that we really like have um, submitted to Valve and just had a rejection with no you know reason or anything. And I think all of those that I can think of. Um, the games we like that didn't get on Steam, I think they'll all be successful on Greenlight eventually. Because mm. Steam, apparently they uh, they ship two to five games a day, <laughs> they told <laughs> us. And so, like, I think some people are worrying that Greenlight's going to be this uh, thing where everyone's jostling for this top spot. And when you get the top spot, you get your Steam deal and, th- and then it's over and no one mm. else will get one. But it's going to be like two to five games a day. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's other people I saw were worried that this would mean that getting a spot on Steam wasn't as valuable because you know, yeah. Steam would just become flooded with games and some of those games wouldn't necessarily be that good. It would just be that they looked good in video and, and screenshots. But then I think those people are underestimating how bad some of the games that are already on Steam are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's plenty of crap on Steam already. <laughs> um, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting question because... I don't know the the implication of that um, the assumption there is that if there was a lot more stuff on Steam each individual thing on Steam would do worse um, which might be true but I don't know it seems like you know there's I mean the history of Steam is there's been loads of stuff added to Steam and sales of everything have gone up indefinitely for everything yeah <laughs> surely you think as well <laughs> that's that, like, exaggeration if there's a place for indie people to go that is much more indie than it was before you'd get more indie people there more people are interested in indie games because they go there to Steam rather than going to, you know, other services where where indie games are easier to get on. There's a lot, like, the thing is that there's a lot of accusations always in the indie game community of elitism, of, you know, people getting special treatment because of, I don't know really why why that happens, but this mm. kind of undoes that because the people who get onto Steam now aren't aren't the people who are best buds with Valve, as people yeah. seem to think was the case before. It would just be, you know, it would be demo- democratic, It'd mostly. Be, do you know, Tom, what the, what the criteria are for being it? So, like, do you have to be an indie studio that is not owned? Could, could like, Activision put on a Call of Duty map pack on there and say, hey, look at our indie game, back it? So that's a good question. I don't know. 
Um, I don't think they would need to. <laughs> I think they yeah, probably they have might, existing though. deals in place with, mm. with, like, if they want to get on Steam, they can do that. Yeah. Is, um, is it just, uh, is just to get on Steam? Is there any kind of money element to it? No, you don't. You don't get any kind of payouts purely okay. to get on Steam. So if you don't, if you can already get on Steam, there's no point in doing it. Okay. Um, other but, than just marketing, I suppose. Yeah. Because it will become a destination for people just looking for cool new yeah. indie game ideas. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't think people will really exploit that because I don't think it will, like, just being on green light gets you a huge chunk of free publicity. No. I don't mean, I don't think they'll exploit it in a bad way. I think it'll be a good thing. For yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's just a platform. And it's good for us as journalists as well because it, well, means we have to browse the internet less to find yeah. stuff because it's well, so in one place. I think it kind of it kind of quantifies and demonstrates community. Like a lot of time, it's hard to tell with something mm-hmm. that is it's like a, like a niche strategy game, where you look at it and the community either seems tiny or huge, and you, but you have no real context of how big the community is in comparison with another niche strategy game or mm. another niche platform game or a completely huge game like Minecraft. Like you know, this might seem like it is a very big deal, this strategy game. But it's actually nothing, or it is you know, a surprisingly big deal, but you just haven't heard about it because it's from some developer in somewhere that is less well-known and only, only Eastern Europeans play or something like that. I think in terms of quantifying and qualifying what is popular, it'll be very useful. My kind of, the game I'm desperate to get onto Steam is Unity of Command, mm. which is a really great turn-based strategy game with set uh, during World War II on the Eastern Front with really kind of cute graphics. And a lot of um, turn-based strategy games are really hard to get into, but this just boils the concepts down to make them really simple and really accessible. And it's like a it looks really nice. It? Yeah, a little bit like Advance Wars. And it's just a really great game that Valve rejected for some reason. The developers say they got rejected and they weren't given a reason why. But, you know, Tim Stone reviewed it for us and loved it. And it's got mm. great review scores everywhere. So I'm hoping that the developers for that will put it on Steam. And therefore, through that, it will get a larger audience. Because at the moment, the only way to buy it is through their website. And I'm sure that does limit their sales. Mm. So hopefully that kind of thing. Jane, if you guys have picks for games, you know, indie games that aren't yet on Steam, which should be. I still, um, I other. can't really... I feel like a jerk saying this, but um, I want no time to explain on Steam. Not because I played it and it's brilliant and it should be on Steam, but because I haven't played it because it wasn't on Steam. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was really excited about it before it came out. It's great. Um, it's a little platformer where you fire a gun that knocks you back, so you kind of use it to jump and things. Um, but it's just the, the thing I love about it is it just starts with uh, a future version of you bursting through your, the wall of your house saying, come with me, there's no time to explain. Then a giant crab claw picks him up and drags him through the level and you've got to chase him. <laughs> and... Uh, that uh, was rejected several times, I think, by Steam. Um, but I think we'll, uh, the creators kind of expressed an interest in doing a green light thing, and I think you will, and I think it will be successful. Um, and that will be cool. So anyone else have picks? I like Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden on there, but I just want that <laughs> everywhere. So. <laughs> it's free, though, isn't it? It is free, but... I suppose, I mean, there's already free... That's the thing. Can you submit free games to Steam Greenlight to get it on there? Because there are some free games so on Steam. There are free to play games. Yeah, then they, have to, they have to have a. There are just free oh, games. Free games. Yeah, like, yeah um, the cat, the cat and the coup. The coup. <laughs> 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 um, actually, I, there's a really great one that um, I've written about for now playing next issue, which is uh, called the White Laboratory, mm. which is um, it's, it does seem to be exceptions that where entirely free games get on Steam. Because this one, I mean, um, the cat and the coup. I don't know why that one particularly made it. But there aren't that many that I've seen. And this one is part of an Intel competition where a bunch of people created games for an Intel thing and the best ones just kind of automatically got their games on Steam. They're all free. Um, and uh, this one's like a tower defense game where you kind of uh, little blocks roll towards your base and when you kill them, sometimes they turn to your side and then you can pick them up and place them and you can stack up the blocks to make a tall tower. Then you can stack up, you can put spheres on them, spheres or cannons and the taller the stack, 
the longer the range of the cannon if you put a sphere mm-hmm. on it. And then there's all kinds of little really it's, neat little relationships. It's also like that if your terror is too tall and it's got a turret on it, then the turret will knock the terror yeah, back. Yeah, the, you know, the, the impulse kind of, of it firing kind of makes it sway. And if you made a really tall hmm. one like I did, because I just love long range stuff. So I just built <laughs> the tallest tower, just one giant column with a single cannon on top. And every time it fired, it would rock the whole thing. So it bent like 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Just love how defense goes. Like you talking. Yeah, Everything but I wonder. Um, I mean, it's an interesting question about green light. I think uh, I feel like Valve would probably be fine with that if there's a really f- popular game that people want to see on green light. Mm. I suppose the risk is that those might become much more popular than the paid for stuff because people are voting to see a thing that they won't have to pay for. <laughs> mm. And of course, Valve don't make any money from that itself. But I feel like like they're so. Uh, open-minded and forward-thinking about being generous when it comes to Steam in order to get people onto Steam that it's crazy. Um, they, to indie developers, if you're getting your game on Steam, then they will give you an unlimited number of Steam keys to sell yourself um, wherever you like and you get, like, you know, just do whatever you like with them, basically. So you can do stuff like sell them through another service, like the Humble Store or... Um, like just fast bring one of these kind of third-party services and then give people Steam keys that they can redeem on Steam from which Valve get no money, have to pay for the bandwidth to deliver the game to that person <laughs> and everything else. But it just means if somebody, they're sort of betting, I think, that the people who get games through that way are people who don't currently use Steam and mm. now they'll have a reason to use Steam and when they do, they might like it. So I think same might go for free games. You know, if, they, if there's just a free thing that you can play and it requires you to install Steam, that's a fairly small price. Caught in the web. <laughs> I'd really like it if Greenlight was a way for sort of game for communities of sort of independent game making and thinking actually things like interactive fiction, total conversion scenes, stuff like that, mm. um, horror games, that even stuff like not necessarily but the stuff that comes up around RPG Maker and, and Adventure Game Studio and stuff like that. If those if it would be a way for like for those communities to have a public shop front that they don't already have because at the moment if you seek that stuff out there's a huge wealth of stuff to experience and you know you can go oh i'm going to figure out why interactive fiction is cool and and go and play through all of these Mm. but it's you know it's a very proactive thing to go and figure out whereas if pressure from just the success of that stuff on green light forced it to be a category on steam for that stuff Mm. so people could wander into it it wouldn't necessarily be the the only place that community existed but it could be like i say a public way for people to, to roll out like the best of what each community is presenting then mm. I can think of tons of and that's a good maybe output for the, the free stuff I can think of brilliant Half-Life 1 total conversions that are still being made and people making narrative games or or horror or, or straight shooters that frankly should be rolled out in front of people and should get bigger audiences that aren't roaming mod DB or aren't mm. you know reading PC Gamer <laughs> it is a much more mainstream audience the second you get on Steam yeah and you know if it brings that stuff to a broader audience then brilliant I don't really, it doesn't matter if you're paying for it at that stage it's just Steam that acts as the hub for PC gaming where people browse naturally and mm. what have you guys been playing? Shall I go Rich? yeah okay um, well I've been playing tons and tons and tons of Dota but I don't really necessarily want to go into it too much because we'll probably end up talking about it anyway <laughs> and <laughs> talked about it loads last week and my, my um, I love it but my thinking about it probably hasn't advanced <laughs> that much since mm. we spoke about it last time um, I've been playing a lot of Battlefield 3 again um, particularly a lot of Gunmaster which is their Master to- of Guns <laughs> their version of gun game basically mm. almost every major shooter has did gun game start Counter-Strike Counter-Strike mod and, and God knows if the guy originally invented it has seen anything from the fact that it's been become this hugely <laughs> popular mode in both Mr. Call of Duty gun. and 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 global offensive and, and, global offensive and <laughs> Call of Duty and Battlefield now mm. that it's just become the standard thing for shooters. 
Um, and it's it's just to explain, it's a it's a kind of deathmatch mode, which is un, it, there isn't uh, an equivalent to that in 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 Battlefield Three. Almost everything in Battlefield Three is team based. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in gun game, you're in teams, but you're competing with everyone. So the, you can only kill half the people in the level. You're passively competing with <laughs> the other half, because the idea is to basically um, to be the first through a, to, to race through ascending weapon tiers. So if you get two kills with your starting pistol, you get the automatic pistol. You get two kills with the automatic pistol, you get the revolver. Then the revolver to the submachine gun, submachine gun, shotgun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all the yeah, way to the bone's connected to yeah. Knee, submachine gun bone. <laughs> um, yeah, and then all the way through to the very final the final pair, which is a grenade launcher, then a knife. And so it's basically, and and the the reason I probably I mean, I love deathmatch and it's it's brought my deathmatch kind of kick back in a way and like map domination mm. and things like that. And weirdly, of all the close quarters maps, I don't play them in conquest anymore. I play them in Gunmaster, and that's kind of what they're for now. <laughs> it's kind of like these small, really focused maps. Um, but also, I think it's kind of opened the whole game up for me in a weird way because I got so stuck in a rut with Battlefield. And the reason I stopped playing it was I had the things I liked to do. I played Assault and then I flew a plane and then I played Assault <laughs> again and I got bored. That being forced to play a, ver- a version of the game where you need to master every single weapon system in that game. You need to know how to use shotguns effectively. You need to know how frag ammo is different to regular um, fletchettes or whatever from the shotgun. You need to be able to use sniper rifles effectively. You need to use machine guns effectively. That All of that has kind of opened the rest of the game out. So now I've jumped in and started playing support for the first time since Battlefield 3 came out, and I'm 40 hours in. I've played 40, more than, almost 50 hours of the game. Have they fixed all the kind of stability issues now that kind of played Battlefield ha- 3 at the start? I've got... Is the server browser better than it was? Um, server browser is exactly as it was. Um, there, are, I think maybe there are a few more like filters and things you can put on now. I don't have a problem like getting into a game. Mm. Um, the close quarters maps tend to load very quickly because they're small, so it's actually quite a good kind of quick jump in it's, it's like my you know lunch break game now if if, if something more social isn't happening i'll sit and play a round of, of gun master um and it's weird because in a way it feels like so reductive that you take this massive military you know the, the spectacle of battlefield when it's really all firing on all cylinders and the 64 player server and the jets and helicopters and tanks and, and you know it's an incredible thing and i still play that um but and it, it boils it down to the fact that you're just running around in circles in a level trying to outthink a bunch of other people mm. also running around in circles in the level and it takes away almost all the complexity and a tremendous amount of the depth. And it comes down to, you know, Twitch skill and knowledge of those guns and things. But I do find it really compulsive. And it's really interesting, actually. I really like the idea of passive com- competition in Deathmatch. Mm-hmm. It leads to this really interesting thing where you're much safer if, you're, if you roam with a mob of guys on your own team. And chances are you'll get a few kills because, you know, you'll all shoot the same guy at once. You've got the same chance as anyone else to be the mm-hmm. guy that lands the headshot or whatever. But really that's not very efficient because you are competing with the three dudes you're running with. So the way I play is, is to look on my minimap and figure out where the rest of the team is going and then always be coming around behind them. Like, or coming, sorry, coming around the opposite side of the enemies they're facing, mm. getting four kills and then running away <laughs> and sort of doing that. And that's become Basically, weirdly really you know, satisfying. It becomes about last hitting. Essentially, mm. yeah. Let's not talk about Dota. <laughs> well, we um, can talk about Dota. Okay. We had interesting conversations yeah. about Dota on the way to the podcast. Yeah, know? true. We're the most interesting podcast conversations always. Yeah, have. I mean, <laughs> and I guess the only other game I've been playing talking. a lot is... Um, Skyrim, and then we talked about that enough. I think it was yeah. really great. Um, but um, yeah, so Dota has been and continues to be a thing that I'm playing for about three hours a night. <laughs> it continues to be a thing. It's just it, plagues it, it, my sad, sad life. No, <laughs> it's the, 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 the depressing way that you said that. No, I'm the, sorry. So the discussion on the way over was um, Graham said, oh, "I'm going to try Dota two this weekend and see if I can get into it because um, lots of PC gamer are now." And I said, I'm never going to play Dota again, uh, just because uh, we've got plenty of people playing it now, and I did not uh, have that great a time with it. 
And then Rich was trying to explain to Graham why Graham would not like it. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, Rich's Rich. first reaction was, you won't like it. I spent last night trying to convince Graham that he would like it. <laughs> Sorry. Ruining <laughs> like, um, Relentlessly realist. Well, I've, got, you know, I've been convinced that I will like it, and then I have reverse psychology telling me that I won't. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to show you. I'm going to enjoy it so bad. Like, I, know I, said, I know I said I've been playing it in a kind of like, you know, uh, that, that sort of, um, it's still a thing, isn't the same way that an MMO is still a thing with me, where I know I've kind of got this sort of like junk food addiction to a game. It genuinely is one of the most positive gaming I'm having at the moment very specifically because it's a social experience it is great fun like the, the crew that we we have the kind of the it's a good moment where we can just say somebody want a game and usually yeah, someone we had an, there was an amazing yes. moment um, on Monday night I think when um, Matt Lee's posted in the email thread we've got where we arrange games saying is anyone about for it a game just quickly like yeah, I've, got, yeah, I've got to go in an hour and we had a full team in less than 30 seconds like from people <laughs> who weren't on people weren't on steam people were checking their email on their phones and things literally i sent them a message on steam immediately just yelling let's do this <laughs> and then like duncan appears and, and then everyone is there all of a sudden like, and avengers assemble yeah i know and then, <laughs> and then suddenly we're in a game and like that that's you know New it's thing. become and it is because it's a social but also i think the game itself for all of its mechanical complexity for how absurdly complicated it is you know it's basically calvin ball um, <laughs> it is it is basically Calvin Ball, but with um, but with a, a, a some kind of win condition somewhere buried in there, mm. maybe that it is almost impossible to to figure out and to your master. Do you get cross at each other and yell and fall out? We everyone reacts to you differently, and, and this is why I'm trying to build towards more and more. Like, like <laughs> if you do things wrong, Matt's getting more snippy now. <laughs> if we all get everyone responds. To, this is what I'm, I'm building towards, and this is why it's good. Is because the way people respond to Dota and the way people respond to problems and successes yeah. tells you so much about it's them. crisis management. And there are people who I, I didn't know very well before I started playing Dota with them, and you start to really genuinely start. You see how people react, <laughs> what they're like on the inside. Yeah, but you can't in the, in those moments when if so, if you just do something in Dota and it costs the entire team yeah. a team fight or worse the game, then the question is why and and that is often down to something like why? Chris Chris you wanted to look cool then and yeah. so you dashed into this fight that you couldn't win you got ganked and you fed the other team and, and and what that comes down to is not oh I'm not very good at micromanagement or oh I need to be better at how to manage this lane what that comes down to is I'm a bad person <laughs> that needs to look cool and I, and I didn't necessarily need Dota to teach me that but <laughs> Dota did help and, oh. and that's why it's so good. That's what it now does. You, now you're convincing me that I should never play with you. No, <laughs> like, even if I if play, you like I should being only confronted, not only with your, your weaknesses as a gamer, but your weaknesses as a person, I can thoroughly <laughs> recommend Dota <laughs> with yeah. friends. It's, um, one, of, one of the guys who play with is Quentin, who's written for us, but he's writing stuff a year ago at the moment. Mm. And, and he, he describes Owen as perennially bewildered, I think, <laughs> which, which describes Owen a lot of the time, but particularly on yeah. Skype during things. He's always like, some people are quite decisive. Some people what does are quite, a donkey do? Yeah. <laughs> Some people play quite, I'm taking this lane, I'm going to do this. Like, you get more confident, you start to do that more. Like, last night I played Drag Up Tour and I was like, right, I'm mid lane because I, I, this is where I fit and it works. Guys, what arrange you around me naturally. Gyrocopter, and I play in the middle lane. Which, of course, has to go in the middle. Obviously, yeah. he's literally. Yeah, obviously, he has to go in the middle. I don't know what you're talking about. He's, 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 he's a dwarf. He's the dwarf gyrocopter from, from uh, Warcraft, Warcraft 3. Because they're all Warcraft 3 units, secretly. But, like, but Owen's thing is always. Where should I be? Where should I go? Like he's really good at his role. Like he's, he plays support. He plays warlock. He's a kind of help buff people, heals people, that kind of thing. He's very good at that. But you never know he's very good at that. But what he's saying, <laughs> what he's he doing, just wants he's to fine. help. Just, everyone... uh, do you need? Um, well, the bottom lane is. Uh, uh, whereas, whereas Matt is now is at this point where Matt needs to play for a long time, and, and he 
he speaks in very short, terse sentences in the game. Like he doesn't, he's not angry, but he's just like, right, you go there, you go there, this is there, and we're going to die here, or this is attack. <laughs> I don't like this plan. That's where we die. That's yeah. where we rage quit. And, we're all rage quit it. Like, and, and the well. way everyone responds to, especially problems, is kind of amazing. Mm. Like I, I know what I do is I start angrily yelling at myself on, st- yeah. on Skype, and like it's, it's like. I, I, I'm sorry, guys. I'm such a failure. <laughs> and, um, Sword and, midway yeah, through. Yeah, like, literally. Like, um, and, um, but, like, everyone, and then the, the, we do have sometimes the terse kind of clipped comments uh, directed at each other. And then there's, like, amazing things. Like, I think, I, I think I've observed this pattern correctly. Quinn's gets more polite the angrier he is. And so if you're earlier, in, and he swears more when he's happy, I think. I don't yeah. know if I'm totally right about this, but like early in, in sort of part of the game, he usually plays pusher. He plays a person who just sort of charges down one lane and gets right into the enemy base really quickly. Um, and he plays a terrifying invisible spider god. Um, <laughs> and so that puts him in a position of some authority because he's kind of making the most consistent progress through mm. the whole game. And occasionally it'll be like early in the game, like, hey guys, let's just, let's just team up and push down the river like a bunch of motherfuckers. Yeah. And, um, and, that, and that's because everything's going well. Whereas later on, if we need to actually do a properly coordinated group fight because we're on the back foot, we need a good solid victory to get everyone some money. It'll be like, guys, we're going to team up like friends. We're friends <laughs> now. Friends team. Friends team go. <sighs> I love the I love the, re- the interaction between Duncan and Quinton as well. Yeah. They're both quite similar. They're both, they're both quite like well spoken. Like, like very. You guys nice just want to write a sitcom about this. They both are very well spoken, very nice guys, and they're both always they interact with each other. But they do it in kind of like delightfully passive aggressive way. But they they say afterwards they'll say like I don't think you really should be doing that at this moment, Duncan. Duncan's like, well, I think I have to do that <laughs> at the moment to do this, and then he's like, okay, that's fine. Well, I, I guess feel like you're like, completely wrong about that. Yeah. But afterwards they just go, I'm sorry for being passive aggressive. I'm fully aware that I am being. Is there any way to get my point across? And <laughs> that's fine don't worry about it I'm completely fine with this I had a game where it was, it was just me and Duncan and three randoms um, and I was playing Viper who you've played as mm. who's a, just has one trick which is you should play damage. as Viper if you're, if you're starting out by the way I don't necessarily agree with that I don't think you'd learn half of Dota because there's only got one active you, ability you should play the tiny, tiny mini part of Dota is what you start with I guess but, but, but it's, it's so hands off like, mm. uh, but anyway you win, d- but yeah, it's just a single damage cannon basically Viper that only just one thing and that's eliminate squishy heroes mm. um and um, I was, and, and because of that, I was, I had quite survival rate, and I was actually having a good game and a lot of kills. And and, but the problem is, because of that, I was dying last in team fights when we did lose, mm. and therefore respawning much later and at higher level, and and therefore taking long to spawn. And the rest of our team were just running off and starting the next fight, literally while I'm still respawning. And even though they couldn't hear me. I was getting increasingly vocally angry with the three other people on our team who weren't listening yeah. and kind of venting all of this at Duncan, the poor soul, on Skype and getting really, really, really worked up about it and then stopping and going, Duncan, I'm being that guy, aren't I? <laughs> and he was like, yes, Chris, you are. And, I, and, and then I said, you know I'm not angry at you, right? Like, I know, Chris. How was your daddy still love you? Yeah. It's, it's, like, you. it's like, maybe we should call it a night after yeah. <laughs> It's fun hearing about the roles that you all will assume because normally the t- type of games, multiplayer games that encourage that are things like Arma where you're invested in a fantasy of we are soldiers in a realistic situation. If one of us screws up, then we all get killed by you know whatever in whatever mission we're trying to do. And the thing that keeps you in line is the fact you're fulfilling that fantasy of being a soldier. So the fact that one of you is a helicopter and one of you is a giant spider is <laughs> still getting those experiences. Yeah, I mean, interesting. It's, it is definitely... I mean, Dota is super gamey, and that kind of clashes up against the fact that you know the, the community is very 
careful about what items they will vote up on the workshop because they want it all to be kind of consistent mm. and with the, the aesthetic of the game. And, and Valve are also really keen on that. Whereas it is, you know, it's the, it's got the you know multi kill announcements from mm. Unreal Tournament, I think. Yeah, kind and of, and 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 the the that doesn't work noise when you try and use a button that isn't active is from Half Life, and there's, <laughs> there's all these other layers of things that. One of my main characters is Sniper. He's, he's a dwarf with kind of like loads of steampunk stuff and a massive gun, and he he says he says all the lines from Sniper, the Sniper in TF2. So he says, he says, thanks for standing still, ganker. But he doesn't. He doesn't also, <laughs> That's great. He doesn't yeah. call people wankers. It's, stuff like I that. mean, the the puns are just abominable. And I just actually, that's, that's, I mean, of all the things, I think we had a question on Twitter, um, which was, you know, what do you wish Valve had changed? Well, one thing they really invested heavily in doing when they got hold of those characters and got to reinvent them was coming up with honest to god the worst puns mm. in gaming at the moment. Like every character has a thing, right? So I'm a helicopter, or I'm the god of thunder or I'm a spider <laughs> and then they're going to write all of the lines of dialogue and each character has so much dialogue for almost every situation that can happen and they're going to write all those lines of dialogue and try and figure out how to get every possible spider mm. pun into this like and you can see the glee in the writer's eye when they've they're, they're figured something out um, and spiders have webs yeah and honestly as someone who has like a physical quite negative reaction to really excessive punning it's one of the hardest like you play a character the characters I don't like are the ones that pun too much yeah like you, <laughs> you can't get... move along without some like helicopter pun or like actually the helicopter is an exception because he makes helicopter noises when he moves which he is does. brilliant wow <laughs> there's um you can get different announcers as well so instead of the Emerald Tournament announcer go monster cool you can get we had uh, Duncan bought Dr. Kleiner from Half-Life <laughs> so he like yesterday he, he, he he's quite disparaging towards you so if you get attacked like if one of your towers is being attacked he goes oh dear your bottom tower is being attacked does this happen a lot <laughs> it's kind of all these kind of like medical doctory puns but also yeah, just you know um, Half-Life references when um they've had, finally had GLaDOS to that game mm. Valve are going to have to install a second money hose <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay you've convinced me I should at least try it you should try it like you know, I, I, the reason I haven't tried it before is just that watching other people play it doesn't look fun like well not Dota specifically actually more League of Legends like watching mm. you guys play League of Legends in the office and then struggle to get a game finished within an hour mm. or hearing people's stories of playing it and the game taking two and a half hours to complete and then it just not looking it's very fun, just looking like a slog and you're all getting destroyed by yeah. people on the internet who were mean to you while you were doing it. You will do for the first few. I mean, the, the <laughs> thing about Dota is there's a learning curve in most games, but Dota's one is kind of like a learning hump and then it flattens out again and there's another hump. It's like step farming, but <laughs> done on kind of like a... But with, stairs. But it's an easy, pretty metaphor. You get abused more by yeah. Russians. Oh, yeah, exactly. Maybe people <laughs> on top of the steps throwing cows down, are you? Yeah. The main reason I think it's not for me is that people are dependent on you, and if you fuck up, it hurts mm. everybody. And I hate that feeling. I hate, I always wanted to be able to do my own thing, and I always want to be able to experiment a little bit and fuck up and, you know, have that only disadvantage of yeah. me. There are yeah, definitely don't play moments. On our team at all. <laughs> I mean, the, we have had some of our finest moments are from experimenting mm. and from like thinking sideways about the game and not necessarily being bound into its orthodoxies because we don't know them because we're not good enough yeah. yet to actually know every single strategy in the book because you know we don't know the whole book yet so we can't always do things by the book which is which is good because it frees us up to do mad things that sometimes work and I think like, I think in that police metaphor, academy you're a rookie cop <laughs> yeah, getting the but job it, done. I mean, it's it, 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 in that metaphor, the books are we're kind of we're at the stage where we put the book off the shelf and we're lifting it and turning it around to work out how it opens up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or looking at the cover. Yeah, I mean, there are like you live in Dota for the moment when you do something. Like there are off. I, I think it's about co-op games and team games. Any, anyway, is every game, regardless of how dependent you are on each other, needs a moment where someone goes, "Hang on, guys, I've got this." 
Like every single game needs that. I think about it a lot. It's one of the reasons I don't like healer damage tank model is because it doesn't provide for that at all. Yeah. It's kind of like, hang on guys, I've got the thing you all knew I could do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and you know, I play in, in Dota play Storm Spirit who's super mobile. And there are moments where I can see about you know half a map screen away or, or a whole map screen away that you guys are chasing someone out of a team fight. Mm. And it's a team fight I haven't been involved in, but I know I can zap in and get that guy you didn't think you're going to be able to catch. And doing that and someone going, nice, <laughs> yeah, in Skype and everyone, everyone feeling good and positive about themselves. It's kind of like you just you, you kind of want to like just give someone a thumbs up and then walk off into the, you know, tip your sunglasses at them and kind of walk <laughs> off into the sunset like a, like a king at that yeah. point. That's worth it for every moment you fuck up and everyone knows <laughs> it's you. <laughs> If I if I you know start playing this weekend, if I was to play with you, would I be atrociously bad in comparison, and would you all yell at me? We, we've no had a few, we've had a few people join us, and like the other thing as well is it, it, most of the time, even if you play terribly, if you play terribly, you will doom us. If you play acceptably, averagely well, like don't make. If we say to you, don't go too far, and you go too far, then we'll go. Well, don't you stupid? Don't be stupid. We won't say that. <laughs> we won't say that because that's mean. But <laughs> what we will do is say, Graham, maybe next that. time you find yourself in that situation. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> the thing. The uh, thing to do is. Mean <laughs> the thing to do is, if you listen to people, you'd be fine. Like the problem is, if you play badly, you feed the other. People. So I, we had a game yeah. fairly recently where I was, I got to level twenty three when everyone else was like nineteen, and I, I had twenty three kills and three deaths, which is like really good. I played a sniper, but one of their guys was playing as a life stealer, who is a crawly, horrible monster thing that will stab you in the back and sneaks up behind you and eats all your health and then puts it back to his own health. And he was 25 because one of our really bad players had just fed him. So he just died and died and died over and over again to him faster than I'd been fed by their guy. So even though I was playing spectacularly well and I had the best game I've ever had, like my stats is still <laughs> the best game. This is about how great you are. Yeah, but how, how <laughs> great yeah. I am yeah. and how bad the rest of my team. <laughs> but it, but that, that meant that he could kill me every time. So even though I was, I was, I should be able to be the carry. I should be able to be the person mm. that was winning the game for us. They had a punchier, better carry because the one person on their team, on our team, was just going ah da 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 da, charging straight into combat. Isn't that just bad game design? Potentially, no. <laughs> but last time we said this, because it creates <laughs> interesting <laughs> situations. I mean, what Doesn't I would say, Tom Francis, <laughs> think just as bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry about that, Tom. Um, I got in trouble. What I would last, say, Graham, like last I, would, I would, if I was to play Get Dose for the first time this weekend with friends, mm. what I would do is. You, you ha sit down with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or something and read um, one of Purge's kind of like basic guides like to mm -hmm. the fundamental principles of Dota so that when you walk into your first game you know what lanes are, which lane is which, roughly why certain people go in certain lanes. Um, essentially one lane is, for each team, one lane is easier than the other on the sides and the red lane in the middle is kind of the most efficient for, for money and XP. So that's why you always put one person in the middle because it maxes out that person much mm -hmm. better. So once you get, get principles like that in your brain, even if you don't know what it feels like to actually use them yeah you know you know the theory then jump into a game with bots and just learn how to use the shop <laughs> because <laughs> the it's, a, it's a dreadful interface and <laughs> trying to do it for the first time when you know someone's bellowing at you buy tangos buy tangos <laughs> buy tangos under clarity and like that's we'll an abstract noun and, <laughs> and, and i don't know and i've yeah, been yeah and just so, <laughs> just so that you you have the basics of controlling the game and the rough principles then actually jumping in with people who are further ahead of you is the best way to learn because yeah. we can just say listen as well listen yeah. listen to what people say because it's like <laughs> Learning bad thing, but don't speak. <laughs> no, well, speak lots of like show respect to your elders. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's weird how how there's a hierarchy already. Like people, there's a guy we play with Nick, who's, who's one of the listeners and readers, and does stuff for us a couple of times. And he, um, whenever he jumps on, we suddenly go from whenever we play, we're like, right, guys, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. He jumps on, he's got two hundred hours under his belt, and we just go. 
Uh, what do we do, Daddy? Yeah. Daddy, tell us what, what yeah, to do. Yeah, exactly. like, we all go silently, but Nick, what do I buy? Where, which lane do I go in? How do I? And he's like, oh, right, you do this, this, and then this. And then we're, next time we play the game, we're like, oh, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We bring someone else and like, oh, of course you do this. Come on, it's obvious. There's a moment we play single draft, which is where rather than getting to pick from all the heroes, um, you are dealt one strength, one agility, and one intelligence here. You pick which one you're going to take. Mm. So you obviously have to communicate with the rest of your team, like, what's everyone got? What's everyone got? What's everyone's got? And that is the worst, most panicking moment we have in the game. And it's the first minute. And it's like when when someone like Nick or Phil Cameron, who also plays a lot, mm. is with us, it's like four of us shouting over each other, like climbing over each other like kittens, <laughs> desperate to be told what to do. Because <laughs> you're like, you know, someone's dwelling on it too long. Someone's going like, oh, I've got ancient apparition, uh, sniper and, mm. I don't know, juggernaut. What do I do? And they talk about it for a bit. And I'm standing there going, guys, guys, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I've got 10 seconds left. I can't do it. Oh, I'm up. Oh, and like, I'm That's the noise help, he makes, help, though. Help. And it is a noise. That's the noise you make. Yeah, so it's a noise. The noise, the noise very old. Like, that, it's it's remarkable. I can't really think of another game that's been like that. Like, even when I was learning StarCraft properly, that was a lonely experience because that was me throwing myself out against the mm. wilds of the internet anon- I, anonymously once a couple of times a day. Yeah, so Whereas, I do love that. I mean, that gets closest to, I think, Tom's thing of um, experimentation where you, you can fuck up without... Mm. The worst thing about this is that if you fuck up, not only is it five people, four people that rely on you, it's four people that you know and will play with you in the future. Who next time you play with them, they'll go... Oh, I think that's I remember that, uh, what you did. That's good though. I think my oh, ideal yeah. social interaction with any human involves a certain amount of accepting each other. Disappointing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you, you disappoint people slightly and all the time and it's less of a surprise when right. Yeah. Um it's 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 remarkable. I I definitely didn't think I was gonna it was gonna get as applause in me the way I has. I've got a Tom style seg that I can do. Go for it. Into the game that I've been playing recently. Chris was talking before about how when you have that thing where you do something good and someone out of the blue goes, That's really nice. Well done, you did yeah. really well. I've been playing nice. a lot of Tribes Ascend, and that now has been my game. It used to be StarCraft, it still is to an extent, but whenever I'm warming up or building up to play another game, I'm playing one or two rounds of Tribes <laughs> at the moment. And every time I play Sentinel, so the sniper class, and every mm. time I do a good shot and I get someone who goes like VG, I can't remember which one it is. VGCS. VGCS is a good shot, and I get that unprompted, especially when it's the guy I just shot. Like, is it very good cocking shot? <laughs> it's, it's, it's voice global compliment shot. shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's that's not actually what they say. That's what they it's, know. It's a kind of there's like a, a category roadmap to yeah. change yeah. things. So compliment is always on the scene. So they probably so end up saying Chazbot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as a game, one of them, it just it feels. Uh, there's not many things in games that feel as rewarding as, as making the shot and being in your house. Go yes, like making that kind of involuntary yelp <laughs> of happiness, and someone actually across the world or across wherever they are actually going mm, yeah, fair play, tapping out the, the the four keys that are necessary for them to say congratulations. That was actually legitimately That's another hard story shot. about how great you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically. Like the reason I like games is because games tell me how great I am. I like people. <laughs> See, to tell me I like games I well. because they tell me how shit I am at things, and then give me an opportunity to get better at it. Even yeah, afterwards, after they tell you that you've got better, which which is also you yeah, great. But I don't know. I enjoy everything about that process. I think I'm the only person playing. T- F2 who uses all of the voice commands in that game because mm. I don't use actual voice comms I just use the preset ones that, where your character says something and I've got every key on the keyboard assigned to something <laughs> so I know how to say good kill versus good shot or mm. unlucky or no or left or right <laughs> I really enjoy them because it, it comes from your character's voice so it's kind of like part of your roleplay I only have used medic is anyone that and Shazbot in Tribes. Shazbot is great just hammering that over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For no reason. I, I mean, I do what you mean about Tribes. Like, I haven't played in a while, and but the kick I got out of being Pathfinder, particularly, mm. especially when we played the, the match, the show oh, match yeah. and everything else, that, because a bit like Sniper, that is the... It's the big visible one. It's, yeah. the, it's the one where if you're doing it well, it's really obvious, and if you're, if you're fucking it up, it's really obvious. Mm. <laughs> um, 
and but yeah, it produces those moments of, of of like the whole theme just kind of saying, you know, you can do it as well because I think Tribes is a good game to to get away from me for a moment, which is a bad thing. <laughs> but um, you know, it drives a game where it does actually highlight skill successfully, and I think that's why he's doing had it in ASL recently. He's doing well at that because people who are playing their class well for most cases it's fairly obvious like a good infiltrator will get a backstab a good pathfinder will get a flag grab a I'm starting a rap here um, a good sentinel <laughs> will get a snipe off at the right time and I can start beatboxing if it would help <laughs> I think it's better if we stop early but yeah and, and be able to do that in the game is good and I really like tribes for the, for the fact that it lets, mm. you, lets you do moments of individual skill and the whole team is looking at you relying on you and mm. we'll congratulate you when you do it. I think more than Dota as well, Dota is a game where if you do badly, you can doom everyone. If you do badly in Tribes, it's okay. If you do really well in Tribes, you're spectacular and you save everyone. And it's kind of, mm. it's like a sliding scale where you yeah. start in the middle and I you're going I think you can out. kind of doom your team in Tribes. I think it's just less obvious. Like, mm. you know, when Llama we, grabs is a good example yeah. of dooming your team. Or just not having a flag carrier at all means that mm. you just never win. Like you'll, you'll be doing well, everyone can do their job. But like, Chris, when we did that uh, show match, match, you were a flag carrier and you did a great job and everyone else filled their roles and we yeah. destroyed the other team. But then we would get on a lunchtime game and everyone would fall into their roles, but you would still be out, out buying lunch or you would have gone to the bank and it would just be like, this isn't working. Flag carriers at the bank. <laughs> just like um, no one was going to ca- capture the flag because we yeah. all just sat there. I mean, the thing, the thing that Tribes has in common with Dota, and I think the reason those stories come out is because having really, really asymmetrical class design, which mm. Dota does to the extreme by having 108 people who are all totally different or whatever, 84 at the moment um, and and Tribes does by having not only classes that play very differently and fulfill different roles, but actually require very different mechanical skills. Mm. Like if I jump into a brute or a soldier in Tribes I'm useless, because I'm no good at fighting in that game because yeah. I never do it. Like I never get into spin fuser jewels in Tribes because why the hell would I? My job is to go at 260 kilometers an hour and take the flag. Yeah. And the, the closest I come to that is chasing, but that's just a variant on the thing I do anyway because it's that's less about mm. fighting and more about going fast. catching this guy and hitting him with an impact knife. Yeah, or even just throwing him off his, his game by yeah. trying to move out of the way of you. And, and, um, or beating him to his own flag or something <clears> like that. Like that's, and so the game I play is not the game anyone else is playing. And that's why it's interesting because there's a, there's a profound difference in the skill mm. that... I can't swap into a different role because yeah. actually I don't know what I'm doing. And, and the tribes is all about you know tribes motto has got to go first, and I spend most of my game in tribes glued to the floor, yeah, not actually moving anywhere because just sniping from one or two good spots that I've set up. And and like I said, it is it's that difference in mechanical skill, but it gives so much space for you to do that. I mean, I've, I've tried playing brutal doombringer and just get bored because you can't go very fast, but you'll get anywhere quickly. And yeah, I can't play soldier because it's too slow. Yeah, like, um, and that's why you know that's that's what makes these games so fun and what makes Dota good is it gives you the capacity to surprise your own teammates mm. like when you pull something out because they can't do it like there's you know when, when put it away someone uses that <laughs> that's one way of surprising your teammates um, but when you know people pull out an ulti in, in Dota that you know people you know and people use it amazingly yeah, well yeah they timed it at the right they yeah, saved it at the right moment like yeah and you, you want to like you're just happy for that person at that point you're just like yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy you're friends with you because that was spectacular <laughs> like that's a really good feeling and you get the same thing in tribes when you see the guys that don't do the like my happiest moments in battlefield were always playing um with friends and i'd be flying the jet and they'd be in tanks or infantry columns or you know like mm. fl- transport vehicles and they'd go chris there's a Helicopter, we're, being, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. And I would just come out of nowhere, hit it with two heat seekers, yeah. and then fly off into the sunset, tip my sunglasses, <laughs> tip the wings. <laughs> and, the wing waggle. Yeah, and then, then, then listen to 
uh, like Kenny Loggins by myself. Yeah. Um, like that, that's that's how that should work. But that's why uh, fantasize on Cyber Fantasy because oh it, it no. should be at that moment generated. Yeah, let's not let's not get into that because we'll be here all day. But like, yeah. there's Rich is quite excited about Planet Side. Mm. I don't know if he's mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> everything. <laughs> um, but the, the the weakness Battleville has brought, brought beyond that is those roles, things like helicopters and, and jets, only get doled out to very few players that are capable of spamming the spawn button yeah. at the right time. Everyone else is playing infantry classes that, while having different roles, are broadly similar in the way that they approach the game. There isn't a fundamental, massive difference between mm. you know, the shooting mechanics or anything. It's yeah. not like tribes where it's totally different. Because, yeah, the game's going to get heroes and generators, and, and I think Battlefield doesn't have that many moments of that. But Yeah, yeah. it does have them, but they're not, they're not as visible either. Cause yeah, not, it's, it's harder to get. Yeah. Look at you talking about your video games and stuff. You're so excited. <laughs> you, you're having quite a dour <laughs> podcast, Graham. First, you're angry at having all of the games. Hey, I was the one that said we should talk about Dota, and everyone came alive. It was brilliant. I know. No. Uh, well, t- I think I think Tom died. But <laughs> Tom <laughs> died. <laughs> Tom's gone now. Just powered this down. This is like when we used, used to talk about Warhammer games. Uh, let's do questions from Twitter. Um, everyone wants to know what things we bought in the Steam sale, but we didn't buy them. I bought things. What did you buy? I've bought, um, I bought Hitman Blood Money, which I do already own, but it's like a Steam <laughs> convenience thing of like, I don't, it's like, it's, it's, I think yeah, I, already, I, I, think, I think I mm. even, I've even got it digitally from a different provider, but it's just like, well, I don't have their software open all the time. <laughs> so that was like 1.50. I bought um, The Walking Dead se- season for 12, sorry, 11 pounds, which seemed like a really good deal. That's getting good reviews. I'm interested in trying it. Um, first two episodes are out. So I bought that because it's usually 22 pounds or something. It was half price or whatever. So I got that. Um, I bought a game about dressing up magical ponies for a friend for a pound um, because that's a steam op- steam sales are a brilliant opportunity to troll your friends um, game collections for a very small amount of money by forcibly gifting them things. Um, <laughs> I think they can reject gifts, can't they? Oh, you can now. He didn't them. used to be able to. He, he didn't reject it though. He was actually delighted. Um, <laughs> Do you remember the name of the game? The magic the game pony it's, it's called um, something like Secret of the Magic Crystal. I've never played it. I watched a trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't. I bought it for a friend. I did. Did seriously check, check right, my Steam. Much this check. sounds like a lie. <laughs> I know, but it isn't because it's a true. Redactive Lobster asks, "Do you think DZ needs to come out for Armor Three to be a standalone game, or can it work on the Armor Two engine?" It should come out for Armor Three, really. I mean, the it Armor Three engine nice looks Armor Three because it looks beautiful. But well, the th- Evan did a in our upcoming issue. Evan talks about Armor Three, and he's saying that the engine is apparently very good and much more optimised and mm. friendlier for PCs so yeah, hopefully it should be on he um, was saying that although it looks much better than Armour 2 it runs faster than Armour 2 mm. oh, which wow. is and, and also thing. runs with less bad things crashes and glitches and <laughs> it runs with less bad and more good <laughs> oh, I'm in favour of this <laughs> you there, like a positive <laughs> back of the box so quote faster, right better and less bad <laughs> well, I mean, I, mean I, I think as well like if they can if, if a standalone from a standalone version of DayZ, I said this before. A, I would want it to work out of the box, and for you to be able to yeah. just jump in and play a game straight away without messing around, well, update itself. I would also want, frankly, I, I would want it to have better animations and, and less placeholder stuff, and, and have that less sense of like, clip through wall blood that doesn't yeah. look like pour out of your face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just uh, well, I, I'm trying to think of an analogy for how the blood in DayZ looks, but it just looks like the blood in DayZ. Yeah. It's like it's like Monty Python, and it kind of ruins the tone a little bit. Um, you know that stuff. You, you want it to kind of have a bit higher production values. I think as a standalone thing. Not that it would. I just want him to get further along. Like he he talked when I interviewed him at E3 about wanting to build, get to the point where players could build their own settlements in the world yeah. and stuff like that. Set up campsites and <sighs> like you know, jungle veil or something. Yeah, and proper territorial control and that kind of thing. That yeah. could be really really fun. 
Ben Hawker one asks, are you at PC Gamer excited about the Battlefield 4 beta? No, because it's completely imaginary as far as I was only concerned. surprised that it wasn't Bad Company 3. And I think <laughs> the reason for that is because chances are it'll be going up in 2013 against Modern Warfare 4. Is this... How did this so get announced? So they didn't want to be a 3 in the title. Mm. Was this like... Uh, bundle thing with the Medal of Honor pre-order. If you, yeah, if you pre-order Medal of Honor then you get guaranteed access to the Battlefield 4 beta whenever the Which, heck that's going to start. at the time had not been announced. Right? No, no, that's how they announced not. the game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I like the fact that the the, 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 the the inevitability of these sequels now has become a thing we don't even need to announce them. <laughs> like, you can just assume it, like Christmas. Does it feel like, you know, Battlefield 3 is a big commercial success and maybe Medal of Honor is still not really competing with Modern Warfare in terms of mm. numbers and now they're thinking why don't we use our really successful series to yeah, drag up exactly our best successful series uh, even though we're not even ready to talk about <laughs> the next iteration to be fair though use the inevitability mm. of the fact we're going to make one to almost exactly this thing happened with Battlefield 3 Battlefield 3 was basically confirmed through the Medal of Honor 1 yeah. um, <laughs> pre-order and so, the new Medal of Honor game was basically confirmed through Battlefield 3 when you bought <laughs> Battlefield 3 like a special edition or whatever oh there was like a leaflet in of it, course yeah. which just had a Medal of Honor logo, logo on it and you know that was you know, that mm. was how they announced that game the thing the thing they've said now is that going forward Medal of Honor and Battlefield will just alternate every year yeah. so you know, it'll be the equivalent of Black Ops and Modern Warfare and you know Bad Company will probably just fade away mm. and which is a shame because I really like Bad Company they made a point Bad as well as Battlefield 3 being kind of like it's going to be sustainable it's going to be a, a game that we give the community and you add packs and you get, you get it for year on year on year it's not going to be a game which can toss out and then have another yeah. one next year and they won't it's interesting that like I basically the, one of the reasons I justified getting premium for Battlefield um, I mean, a game I do enjoy and, and you know I'm almost certainly going to play all those DLC packs and I took a bit of a risk. I don't, but I don't think any of them are going to be a disaster. Mm. It's all been pretty good so far. Chris Gores is an acquired taste, but was because I knew I wasn't going to buy modern. I wasn't going to buy Medal of Honor. So mm. knowing that actually the money you saved by not buying well, it, well the argue, the argument is this is going to be the year for me where I don't buy a big modern military shooter. So I might as well actually invest in making the one I got and enjoy last me longer. Yeah, and the thing is, they're going to continue releasing those packs up until the end of this year, and then you'll have um, until October, like probably summer, of next then, year, yeah, and before then. before Battlefield Four comes out. And yeah, exactly. but it's you know you look at kind of the competitive. I wouldn't do both though. That's the thing. community were looking at it and saying, "Oh, well, this will be the game that'll be along for a long time." You know, but there's a big sword of Damocles hanging over it now. It's just saying, "Oh, it's got two-year lifespan and then it's dead." With that kind of game, though. You gotta have expected that sooner or later the next Battlefield's gonna come out and the community's gonna transition. Just yeah, but like people if you playing go, Battlefield. Go join a bad company to server yeah. now, it'll be pretty. Well, it's, it's, it's a symptom well, of the lack of models. People would disagree. The, the, the John was saying, John Zara editor plays a lot of Battlefield. He's saying a lot of their, their guys have gone back to bad company because it works better as a competitive game than three. Mm. Mm. The public servers, though, are pretty deserted. Yeah. I'll be. Um, I, I'm, in answer to the previous question, I'm not that fussed about it because all my military shooter things will be satisfied by planet size. Yeah. <laughs> in the glittering future that ever recedes before us, yeah. hamster side comes up. Hamster, spell H four M S T four H, asks, "How much do you think your Steam account is worth?" To which the answer is about eleven thousand pounds. Yeah, it's a way to Chris Graham, <laughs> stop this madness! I, I love, you literally every time you say me. that. <laughs> another I believe person. the verb for this is lording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are lording. You, you put a little crown on you, a little paper crown on your head. And well, so you a golden scepter full of games. <laughs> Can I have a press account? Basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, have, I have no idea. I did an account a while ago, and it was something like seven hundred, eight hundred pounds. 
It's, it's by far the most expensive thing that I have in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we should stress that it's not. That doesn't mean anything. We can't sell it. Oh, no, <laughs> it's not, no. It doesn't mean anything. Yes, well, it does. He uses it. Sorry, I'm just reading questions. Talk amongst yourself. All right, Chris. How's it Hi, going? Tom. I'm, I'm fine. I mean, I, I'm worried that the more I talk about Dota, the more mental I sound. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's more or less happening. Yeah. <laughs> Craig McSee Craig McSee eight five two asks: Are you excited about Tony Hawk Pro Skater HD coming to PC after the Xbox exclusive runs out? Yes, case, yes, I am. I like the Tony Hawk games. I'm if I, you know, the bit in Bill and Ted where they play Death for their souls mm-hmm. and they, they start off with chess and then says that they can't play chess and play the games. Twister. Yeah. It, well, it, it turns out they win at chess. Oh yeah. And beat death and death is better and so best two out of three and keep changing this book. If Welcome I, to the anyway. Bill and Ted podcast. <laughs> if I had um if I had to play death for anything, any any like if I had to choose for myself any <laughs> game, uh Tony Hawk two will be the game that I've beat him at because I am incredible at that game. <laughs> again, this is another, another one thing have. Rich is brilliant at. <laughs> Welcome to the things Rich is brilliant at podcast so starring Rich and death. Rich's patient friends. <laughs> That's a good question though. I'm I think glad you guys all allow this patient. What, what would you play death at if you could pick your game? That is a good question. See, there you go. My, I've started a thing. Another thing Rich is brilliant at. No, questions. questions yeah. <laughs> Mine would be Half-Life 2 Deathmatch, but I'd tell death not to use the Magnum. <laughs> I'm really good with the gravity gun in that, but if people use the Magnum and they're really good at headshots, then that kind of trumps everything. But other than that, I really like the fact that um, almost everything else is trumped by the gravity gun, and everyone starts with the gravity gun, so it's much more kind of even than other deathmatch games. And if someone throws something at you, you can catch it. I'm going to go with Counter-Strike. Um, not Source. we go with the original 1.6, just because that's the version of it I played the most. Um, Death I, is good at Counter-Strike. <laughs> it's well known. I was, you know, I was in a Counter-Strike clan as a teenager. It's probably the, the game I've been best at in my life. Hmm. Alternatively, Football Manager. <laughs> but specifically, Championship Manager 2 Italia. If I could play him at that, you know, we both, both operate a team in the Italian league. <laughs> who would you be? Who would you play? Juventus. Like to watch that. I'd be Juventus. And what, Death of the AC? Or? Well, you could be Inter or AC or Roma. The league was pretty good at that point. So I really hope like Death choices. just hasn't been following football. He's yeah. scratching his skull about it. Oh, what the fuck is this? He's, he's picked <laughs> up Aerial ability, what does that mean? <laughs> um, mine would be Death Mask Catholic. Deathmatch Classic. Deathmatch Classic. Deathmatch Classic is that um, Quake 1. It's, it's Quake 1 Deathmatch, basically, for, it's for Half-Life. It's made by Valve. It's made like by a, Valve. a celebration of the love of Quake 1. Yeah, I, I loved Quake 1, but that was kind of... I didn't have... I, I played Quake 1 online when I was like nine or something, and I, I didn't have the, the mechanical skills of an older person. Mm. And, and also I was trying to, like, I kind of invested in the world and wanted to go <laughs> on an adventure, and people were killing me. And then when Deathmatch Classic came out, the, the, the requisite amount of time had passed that I was getting good at competitive stuff, and that was my game for years. So three that, of us pick a Valve game. Yeah, that or... Um, I pick a skateboarding game. There was a mode, there was a dueling mode for Tribes 2, and I've totally forgotten what it was called. Tribes 2 was huge for custom game modes and custom maps and things, and that was the other thing. I've, I've probably the only other game I've, I've, I think I've been properly good at sensible world of soccer I could beat death at that I've won, I've won a tournament at sensible world of soccer I arranged the tournament at my house but I just went <laughs> and you, covered you only invited died. your mother <laughs> I invited nine friends and they all sucked because many of them hadn't played the game before well, that's, but <laughs> that's their fault for no, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> you, you invite for death as well was yeah, he too busy playing he too afraid <laughs> sorry I should have been reading questions while I was doing fiddle that. hero <laughs> actually Jim? maybe Jedi Academy <laughs> 
That's not be a good choice. Yeah, giving you all the opportunity to talk about how great you are at things. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. Your inevitable benevolence. <laughs> James Volk. Sumatory says, dreams, just because it'd be really funny. Oh, that would be really funny. <laughs> Death would get so frustrated. You can barely did, control this game. I mean, I'm not we, playing. When we did the Olympics, we did we did prove scientifically that I'm best. So yeah, yeah. 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 Nidhogg actually talking about the Olympics would be one that I would like to quap for being hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we did X-Plane. Landing a plane in X-Plane. Who can do it better? Uh, that was a disaster. Very <laughs> no one could do it better was the answer. James Volks asks, do you enjoy games like the ship, Assassin's Creed multiplayer? Excited about Spy Party? Know of any other games like this being made? Those so, are all games where a human tries to pretend to be like AI. So yeah, to avoid being assassinated by other humans. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I enjoy games like that. There should be more games like that. I've played Spy Party. It's really good. I'm excited about that. Yeah, Spy Party is brilliant. That's the only one of those that I've really played a lot. I think I'd probably like Assassin's Creed if I did play it multiplayer. Yeah, I've played I've a lot of it. I've tried it because it's, it's good. PC has the, the jank. Ubisoft thing. Um, the ship, I, I really loved the idea of that. I really wanted to like it a lot more than I did, but it had this complex system of needs where mm. if by the time you made it to the bathroom, you were starving to death. By the time you <laughs> ate, you were ready to pass out from tiredness. And then by the time you finished eating, you were like go, about to go insane from boredom. So you had to run to some entertainment thing. <laughs> it was like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> this is surreal. Like, like that. The murderer is the least of my worries here. <laughs> my bladder's going to explode <laughs> any second. Um, Assassin's Creed yeah. multiplayer is very good, actually, because it... It remains, given how silly those games became mechanically over time, towards like Revelations, where mm. it was just the stupid amount of stuff, different systems in, the multiplayer kind of stayed pretty mechanically pure. I think the key to those games is it, if it becomes more profitable to just ignore the whole stealth thing and run, mm. then, which I think the, the, when I played the ship, I don't know if this is necessarily true of people who really seriously played it, um, I found that kind of was the case that doing a brilliant impression is actually less effective in the long run than being very good at running, running away in the, the manner ship. of a deathmatch mm. game. Um, whereas Assassin's Creed. It actually doesn't that doesn't really mm. fly because if someone's got a gun and you're like oh, look at me I'm running on <laughs> the rooftop she's bang oh yeah. in um, uh, Spy Party one player plays as a sniper the other one's a spy and the spy is at a party and has to perform a series of, of subtle tasks in that uh, party while the sniper looks through his scope and decides who is the spy and has to kill the spy and so the game lasts either until the spy completes his mission or until the sniper takes a shot Sniper takes a shot, the game is over immediately. And if he hit the spy, he wins. If he hit anyone else, he's lost. And uh, it's amazing seeing how much of the time the sniper will just shoot the wrong person. <laughs> like, it's one thing for a player to look like the AI, but it's another thing for the AI to seem like a player. Like, mm. you watch the AI and you, you can mark them up or down in suspicion. So you can kind of left click, right click to uh, just kind of remind yourself okay, I saw the person in the green dress do something I don't think the AI would have done. And then later on, you see the person in the green dress kind of hanging around the statue suspiciously, and that's one of the tasks to switch those. So you mark her up again, and then uh, eventually she does one more thing. You shoot her in the head, like, yes, I got him. And it says, nope, it was the dude over there. <laughs> you just watched a robot for half an hour. <laughs> Look at they came convinced they were human. It's amazing, yeah, it's amazing how easily you can convince yourself as well. Like, oh, that, that guy definitely is, definitely, definitely, I'm convinced yeah. he is. And you shoot him out, oh, not even close. DWM asks, what do you want to see from Supreme Commander 3? To which I reply, More Supreme Commander 3. Yeah, yeah I just want that game. As far as I know, that has not been announced. Um, <laughs> yeah, they should do a Kickstarter for it. Yeah, they should, because um, Gas Powered were working on what was that game called? Kings and Castles. Yeah, yeah, Kings and Castles, which was like a yeah fantasy subcom, but sadly it was cancelled. Lack of publisher interest, they said, and since then they've moved over to working on Age of Empires Online, which they picked up from the guys that now do Orcs Must Die. 
robot yes. entertainment. And they've been developing it from that. And apparently it's getting better. People said that the kind of Celtic race pack that mm. they put out was really good. And the game's improving a but lot. It's not giant I, face laser robots, no, is it? No, it's not as good as Supreme Commander, and they should definitely do Supreme Commander 3, because the first two are my favourite strategy games of all time. Though. Did I mention the AI thing that I saw at GDC? Have I talked about on the podcast before? No, I don't think so. Um, so I went to talk by... Um, a guy best known as Saurian who did a mod for Super Gundam 1 where he changed the AI to be a lot better and it was so good that they hired him to do the AI for well to work for them um, and he worked on the AI for Super Gundam 2 but didn't quite like uh, I think it was brought on fairly late and so he um, the main kind of bulk of his work on that was on a patch where they kind of fixed the AI one of my criticisms of the review in, in the release version of Super Gundam 2 was that the AI wasn't good enough um, but then they really really improved it in the patches and the DLC um, and I think they're still working, actually. Um, but he gave a talk at GDC about neural nets, which is how Subcom 2's AI works. And basically, uh, it's a little bit scary. <laughs> he did have to reassure the audience that this is not going to take over the world anytime soon, as far as he knows. But the AI in Subcom 2 is not programmed. It's trained. It just um, it has a, uh, it runs a simulation of the game. And every situation where it has X troops and the enemy has Y troops of type whatever, it just tries something randomly and then sees how it works out. And then it gives itself a score for how well it worked out. If it got totally wiped out and didn't hit the enemy, then it gives itself zero. If it killed loads of enemies and didn't lose many units, it gives itself a score of 100 or whatever. And then remembers that and then runs another simulation, tries something else, and runs another one, tries something else. And you run it, you just leave it running and it's playing the game at you know a billion times speed or whatever, as fast as the CPU can handle. And it takes like 45 minutes to train the AI up, and then it just knows what to do in every situation because it's tried every possibility and it knows exactly how they all work out. <laughs> and uh, so the only kind of challenge is getting it to recognize when situations are similar to ones it's experienced before and that kind of stuff. But the problem he had when he did it was that um, he found that the AI was forming these great platoons, it was building just the right units, come down into his base, it would wipe out everything in his base, and then just walk out without killing the commander. And in the default game mode, the objective is to kill the commander. It's the only thing you've got to do. If you do that, you win. If you don't do that, you will never win. Um, and he couldn't figure out why it would never kill the commander. It would always like it would damage him a little bit and then back off and then like destroy everything else. And if you built anything new, it would destroy that, but it wouldn't kill your commander. It was almost like it was letting you win. And then he went into like the data for it, having run the simulations, and figured out it's because the commander explodes with the force of a nuclear bomb. <laughs> and so every time they tried killing the commander in the simulation, all their units got wiped out. They lost everything. So they're like, oh, this sucks. This is a terrible outcome. I'm not doing this. I only killed one unit and lost all of these. <laughs> and even if you assign a high value to the commander, it's still like, well, it's still not as good as all the stuff I lost. I lost all this great, this cool army. It's a rubbish move. I'm never doing that again. Robot and, learns uh, to value human life. Exactly. <laughs> he learned to value that life or something. It learned to value its own human life. So you had to program it to say, like, regardless of what you think is going to happen in the situation, kill the commander. Just <laughs> automatically kill it. Don't even think about it. Just attack, kill commander. Like, <laughs> so now he's programmed an AI like a, that like a not only evil. trains itself, except for one exception, where Ignore it will just mindlessly kill yeah. <laughs> without question. Someone changed the line of code to kill humans instead. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would like Supreme Commander 3 to allow you to zoom out so far it became a 4x space strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they could yeah, call it Sins of a Supreme Commander. Yeah, yeah Sins of a Supreme Emperor is like not far from that in terms of like you can look down at a planet and see that it all like roads and like little um, yeah, yeah. ships going along. Go, and, you know, and then zoom out all the way to see like multiple can't be that hard to just glue two games together. Can <laughs> <laughs> I could go home right now and glue. Actually, no, I can't because I've digitally. Uh, Damn the future. He's the e-glue. <laughs> so, um, he's an e-glue. <laughs> Le uh, Steam is coming to Linux, mm -hmm. which is a cool thing. And PX Alessio asks, is this the beginning of the Linux as a gaming OS? 
and I say, hopefully, sort of by definition, because <laughs> Steam's going <laughs> to be on. Have it. more games on it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I think with like Steam came to Mac a little while ago, and it's been great for Mac gamers because it has brought them more games. But it's not caused this huge tidal wave of all games that are made for PC are now also functioning on Mac because it's extra effort an extra budget that a lot of dev- development companies well, so can't develop. can right click and say download game. I will say <laughs> some interesting things going on are yes. um, <laughs> A, the humble indie bundle requires uh, every game developed, every mm. game that they sell to be work on Mac and Linux. And so there's been a big spate of indie developers getting their games to work on Linux and the humble bundle themselves helping them get games to work on Linux. Um, and Unity has just added Linux support. So uh, it's, it's in beta at the moment, but um, in the near future, there's going to be um, sort of reliable way to make your Unity game work on Linux. I imagine it's still going to be a pain in the ass because Linux is different for everybody. Um, but it's much, 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 much easier to, now to make a game that works on all three platforms mm. than it was in the past. It used to be a major thing. Is Gunpoint going to be on all three platforms? <laughs> <laughs> it is my intention to release it for Windows first and then um, hopefully do Mac and Linux next. That <laughs> media training kicking in. And <laughs> <laughs> the Uma asks, what are your thoughts on the Mass Effect 3 extended cut? Any guesses as to why so many loose ends were left hanging before the DLC? I haven't actually seen it yet. I haven't played it yet. I don't want spoilers. I, yeah, I don't want spoilers <laughs> I either. No spoilers. Both of you cover your ears. I'm not going to spoil anything. It's What? That's, <laughs> That's contradictory. Now I don't understand. Just in case. Um... I thought it was pretty much what I thought. I'm <laughs> <laughs> really careful here. Maybe we just shouldn't say It's anything. big on the good. It's low on bad, but we'll... Uh, it's a bit of, bit of bad. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it does what I think a lot of people thought it would. Uh, it doesn't... It doesn't I, I really can't say too much about it. It so is as expected. Right. Proceed. Yeah, I think, like, he asks, you know, why do you think so many loose ends were left before the DLC? And I think it's just that if you're a story, storyteller, it's not necessarily your responsibility to tie up every single loose mm. end in your story. Mm. You don't have to be, like, porkies and do a montage at the end of where all your characters end. <laughs> they really should years later. It's okay to have ambiguity if the ambiguity is, you know, has a point or probably, is more interesting think, or... What they, what they said towards the end of the making thing, and I think that ties it together more than anything else, was that they had a whole lot of endings and they couldn't decide until the last minute. And then they wrote the last, you know, they, they kind of, they wrote an ending and then they scrapped it very late and then they wrote another one and that was the final ending they had. And they had a short time to write it and they had to tie everything in this, this space opera up and they didn't have much time. Short and time to write their ending to their three-part space epic they've been working on for seven <laughs> yeah. years. Well, I mean, the thing is... <laughs> exactly, the thing thing, you know, it's on them, but... Um, and, and the important context is, I mean, the, the ending they, they got is, in my opinion, far superior to the ending they were going to have, which is the ending being set up by Mass Effect 2. And there are so many plot threads from Mass Effect 2 that got totally abandoned in Mass Effect 3 because they were dumb. <laughs> <laughs> what was the ending they were meant Basically, to I mean, um, I guess it doesn't spoil anything. It's the ending that never happened. Yeah. Basically, in Mass, in Mass Effect 2, there, there are two plot threads that never come back. One is human exceptionalism, basically. In Mass Effect 1, they're really keen to establish that the reason all the aliens are um, bipeds and the reason they're all kind of similar is because of this system in place that has actually made that be the case. It is not just, oh, well, actors are kind of human-shaped Star Trek thing. It's actually, there's a reason for it. It's because of the the, the cycle and the fact that the only life that actually survives are are the ones that fit that pattern. And then in Mass Effect 2, they suddenly decided that humans are magic and special, that humans have magic DNA that's kind of better than everyone else's, which is completely against the spirit of the first game. I thought at the time I hated that little thing that they decided. Um, 
And they also established this thing about dark energy. That there's a there's a star in Mass Effect Two that is dying, and it's dying too fast, and it's turning. It's it's going through the cycle of life too quickly, and that also went away and never came back. And um, I don't know how reliable this information is. It's stuff I've read in a few different places. Apparently, the the original kind of end game for the series was going to be basically that dark energy was inevitably going to wipe out the entire universe, like em- you know en- entropy on speed kind of thing, <laughs> and that the only way to stop that were the Reapers, and that's what the Reapers were actually for was to stop this thing, and that they needed to make all of the magic humans into a magic Reaper that could stop entropy. <laughs> oh god, that's dumb, oh, god. right? That, I mean, I don't know how exactly how true it is, and, and and maybe there are people in, in the community that that have that better down, and maybe it's wrong, but. That was the that was what that little thread being teased at in Mass Effect Two was for, and that was what um, the the you know the the the, the stars dying thing was for. And the and I I don't know necessarily how much I can say about um, what the big choice at the end of that storyline was going to be that Shepard was going to have to make um, because it kind of is part some of it survives into the choice that actually gets made, but it's so dumb. <laughs> it's it's essentially the the renegade option is to basically pile everyone into the reaper bus <laughs> like <laughs> like and to Rest be honest dark star regardless and, and this maybe will get people yelling at me on the internet but that's fine um i think the ending they they ended up with in a lot of ways in not in others but in in, in some key thematic ways was far closer to the original spirit of mass effect um, yeah. than that it, the, the spirit of Mass Effect being that actually this cycle is way 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 bigger than, than you think it is and that stopping it or, or challenging it or, or changing it is a massive massive undertaking that is going to actually have a serious impact on the way the whole galaxy works because suddenly the way life works will change because because of the restrictions that have been put in place and that's what I liked about that universe that hard sci-fi thing and I'm mm. glad they went with that direction rather than actually guys humans are magic uh, because they've got magic DNA that's the solution. Like that's far more of a, a Deus Ex Machina than than the Deus Ex Machina <laughs> that they actually came up with. Yeah, humans are magic. Anyway, that's that's, that's, that's what I was. Human, are they Graham? Podcast title right there. Humans <laughs> are magic. Anyway, so Pile sorry, that's, that's maybe more of an answer bus. to that question. People, uh, that's not an answer to that question because the question is about the extended cut. But I'd rather they have left the questions hanging that they left hanging than have tied everything up with that other kind of ending where it is yeah. just a huge pile of nonsense I think, I think the extended cut the way they did it is, is probably the best thing they could have done in the situation I think it was, it was an incredibly tight tight rope to walk to get the artistic creativity side of it as well as the appeasing to the fans without just looking like they're going oh shut up fans and stop to them the, the thing they come out with is is better and it answers a few things that people were asking and it doesn't make you go oh come on that obviously is not what you meant to do in the first place okay. I'll leave it there because I don't want to say anything more I haven't actually ever seen Porky's, by the way. So, <laughs> isn't it American but, Graffiti that was at the end? I think they many many films do. Okay, but anyway, that's all the questions we've got time for. So we're gonna, you know, go put an end to entropy now using our magic DNA. <laughs> all in the bus. Everyone in the Reaper bus. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Flying us into the sun. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye.